Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host, as always, Liam Edwards, and a very happy new year to you all. I hope that you enjoyed a nice merry holiday or are still enjoying it now. Thank you also for sticking with me here at Final Games, and I hope you're ready to enjoy a brand new year with some more delightful banishment of some of our favorite video game darlings. And my word, are we kicking off 2018 strong. My guest this week's career and background in video games spans well over two and a half decades, and is incredibly difficult to sum up in just a few short paragraphs before a two-hour podcast. But from cutting his teeth early in the 90s on an X-Men game as an artist, the then-known Western Technologies, to moving through the ranks at Crystal Dynamics where he worked as a designer on one of the only game series ever to feature a lizard protagonist, Gex Enter the Gecko and Gex 3 Deep Cover Gecko, Gex Enter the Gecko being one of the only N64 games I owned for a while, actually. It was early in 1999 when he moved to the company for which he would work for almost 20 years at, becoming one of the game industry's most well-known game designers and game directors in the process. Working at Naughty Dog, my guest first started out as an artist on the PlayStation Racing title Crash Team Racing. From there, he continued to apply his trade as an artist on all three of the superb and beloved Jack's titles before being given the opportunity to co-art direct the first in what would become the series juggernaut, Uncharted. From there, it became apparent my guest had talents other than art, with him taking the reins as the game director for one of my favorite PlayStation titles, Uncharted 2 Among Thieves. A title that really put Naughty Dog and my guest on the map in terms of blockbuster, multi-million selling titles. A game that won multiple Game of the Year awards and just gained incredible review scores across the board. Arguably though, for some fans, his greatest game was yet to come. Alongside other famed Naughty Dog director Neil Druckmann, in 2013, my guest released the absolute smash hit, The Last of Us, a post-apocalyptic thriller that won more awards and accolades than anyone can even count. And after finishing his work as a game director on the final piece in Nathan Drake's story on, with Uncharted 4 Thief's End last year, my guest took a sabbatical where, after nearly 20 years at Naughty Dog, my guest announced last September that he would be leaving the company to pursue New Horizons, much to the sadness of hundreds of thousands of gamers the world over. I'm incredibly excited to say, and absolutely honored to call this person a friend who's going to join us today. It's former Naughty Dog director and all-round wonderful darling, Mr. Bruce Straley. Hello, Bruce. Liam. Hey, buddy. Hello. How are you? How are you doing, sir? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very good. How about you? Uh, that's um, quite an intro there. That um, I, I don't know if all the accolades are deserved or not. I did a job, and I happened to make some lucky decisions, lucky moves, and you made some games. You happen to be good and... at your job. Okay. Well, thanks, man. <laughs> Matt, it's so good to finally be doing this with you. We've been... I, well, I've been pestering you for a, a while. I don't know. Is it pestering? I mean, I mean, you, I feel like it's pestering. Pestering's like did you knew sending like naked pics or something enticing me to do illicit <laughs> things. Like that's not you're you're fine. You you send a little heart and emoji and call me handsome. So I'm I'll do that's anything true. for you. <laughs> I do do that. If anyone doesn't know, I call Bruce my handsome darling all the time. I don't know why. He's just a handsome. I'm looking at him right now, and he has these wonderful brand new glasses on as well. I, I quite I mean, enjoy that. The compliments keep them coming, man. I'll do any podcast you want. <laughs> <laughs> but I have been pestering it, and I felt bad after because you knew what was happening. You knew what was happening. You were here in Japan early last year. You were checking out all the cool Japanese indie games, and we were having a really good time. But all the while, you knew what was happening. There was this big change coming. 
And I felt bad because I didn't know until a couple of weeks prior, you sort of hinted at me that we might want to record the podcast after a certain time, uh, which uh, then became that you were finally leaving Naughty Dog after such a, 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 an incredible time. Yeah, I left. That was it. That was, um, it was it was interesting uh, process in the sabbatical of trying to figure out next moves and, you know, how it was going to look to go back to Naughty Dog or not. And, you know, um, so going to Kyoto to, um, what's the name of the indie? What's the? Bit Summit. Bit Summit. That was so fun. That was such yeah. a great time. And, you know, Jake Hasdall, who you've had on your program before, he's a good buddy of yeah. mine. I've known him since he lives in Los Angeles. And, um staying with his family and hanging out with him and seeing 17 bit and his offices and stuff was cool. And then meeting yeah. all the, like, you know, just, he's got a grip of friends out there who he just loves and they love him. And the Riverside party where the cops showed up and, you know, it's <laughs> it was a good time. It was a good time. Yeah, it was really, it was a really <laughs> fun time. And, but there was a, there was a lot weighing on me at the time of trying to figure out what, um, what exactly was going to happen next. And yeah. Yeah. It's time to move on. And it all came to fruition in September. And um, let's be fair. I mean, obviously you'll be modest, but I remember reading, because we'd been talking a lot before then, and, you know, we were having a really good old chuckle about many things and stuff. And it's like I'd gotten to know you quite a bit. And even I, myself, when I was reading through all the messages, and obviously as someone who had played your games before getting to know you and stuff like that, like reading them the messages on all the forums and uh, the news articles and stuff like that all these people who had been so touched by you know uncharted and the last specifically the last of us and just how much they valued your work and input and contributions to the industry and all that kind of thing was just really i even for me was an emotional so i can't even imagine how you felt uh it was it's a weird thing to say that leaving Naughty Dog was one of the greatest things to happen in my career, even though, and it, it sounds weird to say that because um, clearly making The Last of Us and working on the people who I got the privilege to work with at Naughty Dog for so long, and that Last of Us was really like the culmination of a lot of philosophies that I had been building yeah. up, and that was amazing, and to win awards and I tried to, and to dedicate myself to something, I had a vision and I really spearheaded that project with the idea of wanting to make something that I hadn't played before in the industry. And that also yeah. manifested itself in a way that I never could have imagined. And so that was amazing. Well, you but almost created a brand new genre of action adventure games with Uncharted. We had so many third person action games that came after that that were all described as uncharted like that you'd almost reinvented the sort of action adventure game yeah you could say i ruined uncharted. the industry you could say it <laughs> <laughs> but no but seriously like leaving naughty dog a place that i'd been at for 18 years and i mean okay let's it's gonna i don't even know for 10 minutes into this podcast and we're gonna get again we're gonna go therapy here we're gonna you're going to be my therapist for a second. But, you know, um, video games have been a nice escape for me for a long time. Art has been a nice escape for me for a long time. And work, quite honestly, you know, I'm a workaholic to some extent. I'm a perfectionist. And yeah. I push myself, just like a lot of us do in this industry. And, um, and I dedicated myself to something in my work, and that showed up at Naughty Dog. But... 
I was always kind of searching for, metaphorically speaking, like the pat on the back that my dad never gave me. You know what I mean? Like I'm looking for somebody yeah. to acknowledge like, dude, like you're okay. Like it's it's all yeah, like you're, you're worth fucking, something. You like fucking did it. Yeah, like yeah. that was a good job. And yeah. And work isn't gonna give you give me that, you know? It's not and so something about the last day at Naughty Dog where the whole team showed up. I mean thank thank God for Allison Mori at Naughty Dog, the HR um woman who friend who um Hooked it up with Evan Wells, who's been a friend of mine since before Naughty Dog. I worked with him up at Crystal Dynamics, and he's the he was the co-president for a while, and then Christoph Lester left, yeah. so he's the president. And, um, you know, they just, I mean, it's a beautiful thing that they went out of the way to set up sort of a, an event for me and got a cake and called the team out to the kitchen and gave a speech and gave me a little, like, scrapbook and... And it's it's crazy that you have to leave somewhere to get the acknowledgement, maybe the emotional yeah. like security that I've always yeah. been looking for finally came, and I was just like, oh my god, like I'm worth something, like. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds so, so broken weird. and so wrong to say, it, but at the same time, it was kind of the most emotional and most beautiful and kind of. I don't know, the, the, the most validating experience that I've had in my career. I've gotten on stages and collect awards and stuff like that. And it's not, nothing's been as gratifying as it was to see the team come out and each of them say to me, you know, or, you know how much they enjoyed working with me and that I've actually yeah. made an impact on people personally is the most rewarding thing of my entire career. It has to be like a finale before people really sort of put things into perspective about how things work and just like, how much you can maybe appreciate something, which is something I've really noticed because having come from like video game development and releasing only a few titles in my time, but it takes, as you know, three to four years, even longer to develop a video game. So from one point you'll spend, you'll release a game, you'll get all the praise from maybe the, the critics and the fans, but there'll be three to four years space where nothing will happen and and you'll be wallowing in this is this right are people gonna like it no one's giving us you know the the lauded appreciation for our art and stuff like that now to now i i do this system where you know i release a podcast every week and it's great because every once a week someone will message me saying thank you so much for a great show i really appreciate listening to it and it's like oh my god i i get this each week but when i worked on like gta 5 it took four years before yeah. <laughs> someone was like oh you did that like that's amazing thank you thank you so much um so for you to have worked you know 20 plus years making some of the industry's most standout games even then to be who you are it has to be like a there has to be like a cap on the end finale where people really are like oh thank you for all of that which is kind of sad and i don't like that People should just tell creators all the time that their appreciation for that art. Well, it's funny. I think, you know, I hate to be morbid about it, but if you think about it in regards to like a funeral or a life or what life is worth, and I don't know why I'm yeah. so heavy on this fucking podcast about video <laughs> games, but, you know, like, like we, we don't get to have the funeral while we're still alive. And that's the yeah. bummer. Like, I, you know, we always see those tweets when people die and it's like, oh, this person was the most 
amazing director and movies and influenced my entire career. And yeah. And wouldn't it be awesome if they heard that? Like if we actually got to say like, no, seriously, dude, it's, like you are influencing like the decisions and choices that I'm making right now in my career. And I really appreciate yeah. the things that you've done. It's really funny you say that because I imagine, I don't know how it worked at Naughty Dog or how you ever rephrased it, but especially when someone who's been there for such a long time, like I imagine when you left Naughty Dog, it does almost feel like a death. And we had the same thing at Rockstar. When someone left, it, it was weird. It's like they disappeared forever kind of thing. Yeah. Because when we would refer, refer to someone who used to work at the company, like, oh, you'd be like, oh, yeah, Daniel, when he used to work here, rest in peace. Like, you would always add, like, the, the rest in peace at the end because that's how it felt. Like, when someone would move on from the company, had been there for a long time, because of the, the trials and tribulations you go through while you work in a game development situation, like, you get to fucking know people when you work in the video games industry and under those conditions, it almost does feel like a death. It's weird. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, and I kind of feel that way myself just leaving naughty dog and leaving the offices and sort of like you know there's a ritual there's a ritual to your day yeah. and at the end of the day now some days i have bad days because i'm sitting here bouncing around the walls in my place like just going like what the, what do I do? What the hell am i doing <laughs> with my life like <laughs> and, and, but i gotta say also like um there's a there's a beauty to the freedom that i'm learning about but it is actually mm. it, it has to there's been a process of learning what to do with my time without the structure of having a game that has to ship in the next, you know, year or two or whatever. And yeah. it has to be amazing. And then my perfectionism comes out and I have to, you know, not only does it have to be amazing, but it has to live up to some standards, which are like ridiculous for me. So like, but yeah, it's like a death people leave. And then it's like, I feel like I've lost some friends and I haven't, they're still yeah. there and they're, they're still available for coffees or breakfast or things. And I still try to keep in touch with some of them best I can. And of course, any of them, if they ever reached out to me, and then I would be like more than happy to see them and hug them and, you know, yeah. And shoot the shit. But it is weird because you will have been in such a routine and everyone will have saw you every day. It's almost like when you're not in that routine, people just forget. We take it for granted that I see this person. We do. And that was actually one of the moving things too, is realizing that, you know, I've seen, I've seen people get, go through huge life changes from diseases and issues in a personal level to um, getting married and having children and creating families and, and to be a part of that. And, and I just kind of, it's a, it's amazing that it happens, but I sort of take it for granted because well, we have a job to do. We have something that we're there to yeah. do and congratulations on your kid and I'm happy for you. But, and then it, it's, but if I could sit down and program this level. <laughs> <laughs> and on some, and I, I'm definitely guilty of that to some degree. And then there's another side of me, which is um, since I've left, I think those things hit me even harder that I was yeah. witness to that. And I was a part of that on, uh, to, with so many people. And on some level, I've made certain decisions that helped sustain those families and create a lifestyle that they can they can put food on the table and send their kids to college, et cetera, partly because of the work that we collaborated on. And that makes yeah. me feel good that I'm a part of that. Well, it's difficult because there are some companies, there are some companies that don't see it from that perspective, which is, I, I appreciate you saying that as someone who was in your position to be able to create that and facilitate that because the video games industry is a harsh, harsh mistress when it comes to 
dedicating your life and the balance of having a family and having children. But I think it's one of those things when you leave, you feel less guilty about celebrating something like a wedding or someone having a kid. It's like almost massive excitement. And before, when you were working in a studio or something, you'd you'd maybe feel guilty because you'd be like, I can't really celebrate this because we have these deadlines to meet and this has to be done. But then when you're out of that, you're guilt-free. Like you can see almost the beauty of actually what those things really mean to someone. And you're like, oh yeah, this is what it's all about. I forget. Now I don't have to think about deadlines or I don't have to think about what has to be done or how we can balance both this beautiful thing and also getting the work done now i can just forget about the work and just oh this is the true beauty of these life milestones that happen to people yeah it's simple it's like we just get preoccupied right we get yeah we get barreled over by the amount of work to do and you know and there's it's not like it's not like we're lacking some sort of social upgrade that prevented us from being able to empathize with human struggle (laughs) yeah it's simply that we're busy (laughs) And we had other priorities and, and, you know, it's like I acknowledged it and I know that things are happening in people's eyes, but it's, it was so fascinating. It's so fascinating to see the difference between how I look at the time in the day today and how I utilize it and how I feel about it versus going into work and, and always feeling like somehow the grass was greener somewhere else. You know, there was some fence, some yeah. metaphorical fence I was looking over that was like, you know... And I love Naughty Dog. I really do. I love the people and I love the structure and I love the games we made and I love everything. But there was just something in me that was, um, you know, just always kind of looking over the fence going like, huh, you know, and yeah. so, anyway, I don't know. I I'm people don't rambling. understand that people change. People's perspectives change as well. What people want out of their life changes as well. And it doesn't matter what position you're in if you are seeking something else or there is something you haven't quite got yet that you want to attain or you want to work towards, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're Liam Edwards who creates a podcast. It doesn't matter if you're Bruce Straley, director of Uncharted, or you're, you know, someone else working somewhere else. You could be in any position, but if, if there's always something else you want, you have to take the risk and you have to be like, okay, this has to stop and I have to go try this. Otherwise, I'm going to feel unfulfilled as well. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's super important. Yeah. And I think that's where the life is short motto. The bumper sticker is plastered on the inside of my skull, just saying like, all right, dude, like time's a ticking. <laughs> like, yeah, you could go in there and dedicate yourself to another game. And I know you're going to be proud of the game. And I know you're going to enjoy the process. I do enjoy making games. And I love that team. And I love, you know, I wouldn't have done it for so long if I didn't enjoy it. Uh, but there was just, you know, like you're saying, I'm 100% with you. Like, there's just something else that's been itching that's like, all right, maybe there's some other things that you want to try. Let's, yeah. let's see what else is out there. And you got to try it because life is short. Absolutely. It's scary, so, dude. It's scary as fuck. <laughs> like, you know, to, to have security and stabilization and a paycheck coming in every, you know, two weeks and a bonus off of like a successful game, which not everybody gets that pleasure. And I got lucky enough to be a part of that. And like, and, you know, and then to say like, I'm leaving that to not get a paycheck mm. <laughs> and to go off <laughs> into possible failure and the who knows what ventures that you've never yeah. experienced or done before. Like, can you do that? <laughs> and, and then my identity is so wrapped up in Naughty Dog and those games and then my ego. And yeah. I didn't know, I never did anything with the concept of ego or like never like climbed a ladder with the intention of being somebody. 
ever, none of my decisions ever in my career have ever been to do that. But somehow my ego creep crept in and just like, yeah, you made, you made the last of us, you know, like some bullshit little voice inside of my head goes like, Oh, you are somebody. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're just some other (laughs) jackass trying to figure out how to make a video game, man. Like calm down. (laughs) So yeah. It's funny because that definitely happens. And, and we all hold ourselves to certain standards, I think. And we reflect on what it is people... I think it's not so much ego. I think it's what people expect of us. But that's ego. We are reflection. We are reflected of what other people... So when you say, hey, you created The Last of Us, well, that's what people know you did. So it's not like you can ignore that. Okay, I, I hear what you're saying. There's an expectation now that I hold myself to... I'm scared of judgment, let's say. I'm not of... of yes. In some acceptance that yeah. like everybody's going to have ups and downs and the roller coaster of creative process and blah, 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 and who knows what the next... Because to, to, to some people, to them, well, the director of The Last of Us, he could pretty much fucking do anything because he made The Last of Us. Like, there is always that mentality, right? Which is, I can imagine, incredibly scary. Yeah, but the funny—that's that's a funny thing because um, the there's a fascinating thing that happened at, between Uncharted Two and The Last of Us that in all a lot of the interviews, like I don't know, ninety percent of the interviews that Neil and I would do for The Last of Us, somebody would ask, like, you know, wasn't it a lot of pressure, like after the success of Uncharted Two, to create something from scratch like this, and like it could have been a complete failure, and and. And when the game wasn't shaping up, when we were still sort of in that mode of production, like, you know, three quarters through production and we're still sort of trying to find it and we're kind of questioning whether or not we're ever going to find it. And, and, you know, there's that, you know, people who sail the Atlantic and there's that, that, that the middle passage or whatever it is where it's like there's no winds and the ship's not moving and you're just like, are we going to die out here? And that, that phase of production, <laughs> it was scary, but then... Outside of that, we never really held it to a standard of Uncharted 2 or success of Naughty Dog's Legacy of Crash Bandicoot or Jack and... We just said, like, we just have to stick to what we think is going to be a good game and just, like, try to be as honest and true to that game that... There was a tone that we found at the very beginning that we said, like, in our heads, we found this idea of, like, we've never played anything like that before. It was, like, No Country for Old Men meets Eco meets Resident Evil 4... And, like, if I could play that in, like, a modern game with, like, realistic characters and get to know this ally character, like, you know, I've never known. Like, there are certain tent poles that we knew were, like, all right, I've never played that game before. That would be amazing. That as long as we stuck to that, we just, we would make a game that we were happy with. And hopefully other people would be happy with it, too. And that's all any creator can hope is, like, if you're true to yourself, then there's probably an audience out there that has similar sensibilities or tastes that you do. But man, now that I'm on my own, I have a different thing because I don't have the talent of Naughty Dog. You know, it's just like I, have lo- I had loaded guns and bazookas and an awesome helicopter and shit that I could go on missions with. You know, it's just like I could do anything. Now you just got like, scale a mountain. Now you just got like this really shiny knife. This really right. shiny knife. You're like, well, yeah. I've got something. Yeah. So now, now it's more on a personal level, which I got, I got to say I enjoy. I enjoy that now there's a different challenge saying like, okay, Bruce, like, how can you keep that same tone that you and Neil had, at the, you know, through production of The Last of Us, except apply it to you personally and, and kind of shrug your shoulders? There's two kinds of like give a fucks. Like you either you say fuck it where it's like you give up or you say fuck it and nothing matters. Right. There's like those two different types of fuck it's. 
And I want to get mm. the fuck it's. I like the fuck it's where you just go like, fuck it. It doesn't matter what they think. Fuck it. It doesn't matter like it, whether you're successful or not. You're going to learn something in the process. Fuck it. Like you don't have to make money off of this thing. You just need to be solvent. You know, you need to pay rent or whatever your mortgage or whatever your thing is. Like just yeah. fuck it. In that sense of like the Nike just do it, you know, motto is like, yeah, yeah. just enjoy that. <laughs> enjoy the process. That I And I imagine you'll, you know, it's, it's still kind of early days as well in terms of, you know, you left in September officially yeah, for sure. and this, you know, it's been a year of trying to sort of figure out what is going to go. And even then, you know, last year is still wrapping up and being involved in the Uncharted 4 finishing kind of thing and all, all that was coming with that. Um, so it's still early days and I think it will, you know, take that time to figure out solidly exactly how you're going to feel about it. But I don't know what, what you are like personally, but I'm someone, I care what other people think, but not as much as what I think. Like if, if from what I, because you, you've seen what I've made and you, you know, you've seen the work that I do and it's like people give me the people, uh, people say you should change this, you should do this. And it's, it's a, always a balancing act because I'm like, well, I don't like that. <laughs> and I'm not going to change it because I like it this way. Yeah. And I, I don't know how that works when, in, you know, you go from working with a team where you have to almost, especially when you're working with a co-director as well, you have to give your ideas and sometimes they're going to be rejected, but now you can do anything and they will all be accepted because you're your own boss, essentially. But are you someone who is going to care about what people think in terms of what you make next? Or is it going to be like, as long as I'm happy with it, I'm happy and that's fine. Oh no, I totally care what people think. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's your answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, it, it, that is, I think it's the struggle, constant struggle of um, external, internal. Like I, I want to be true to myself, yeah. but I also want to do something that somebody else is going to recognize. You know, it's as simple as that. We don't create in a vacuum. We don't create so that I can just sit here in my apartment and play my game by myself. Like, because by the time we finish a game, I don't want to play it. I'm sick of the game. Like, I know the game inside yeah, and out. Yeah, like, yeah. fuck that game. It's time to move on. Yeah. So I want other people to, like, to, your podcast, yeah. you want people to, like, sit, you know, when you haven't been on, which you haven't been on for a little bit right now, you want somebody, you want to get that little text or that little message on Facebook or something going Agreed. like, hey, dude, like, I miss Agreed. your pod. Like, where are you at? Because it's like, yeah, you're yeah. doing Someone something. Someone did send me a message and they were like, are you okay? Where have you been? Uh, I miss, I miss the show. I'm just like, oh. Yeah. yeah. And Thank you. and that's sweet because it means that you're doing something that is meaningful and you're part of a bigger community. And if you're not doing something creatively that is inspiring somebody else, then I could just sit here in my pad and masturbate all day and that'd be fine. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that's kind of the alternative. If I'm going to create, then I should create. Yes. <laughs> I know. Okay. We'll, we'll drop that analogy now. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it is definitely that balance. I think coming from the podcast side, it's always for other people. I mean, I get the opportunity to talk to amazing people and it's, it's for someone who likes to create games and create things and wants to be creative. I get to talk to the people who inspire me and that's what I get out of it, but I'm not going to go back and listen to it because I'm not who it's for. Like in the podcast side, it is always what other people like. I always want to know what they want out of it but in terms of like creating like uh projects or games and prototypes and stuff like that it's more about like what are, going back to what you said about uncharted 2 it's like what do i want to play like what do i care about when it comes to a video game what what is it i want to see 
And depending on what the, your next project is, which I imagine you're not going to tell anyone for a long time about, which is totally fine and understandable, depending on what it is, it will be that balancing act. Who is it for? Is it, you know, this commercial thing that I want lots of people to experience? And I have to take that into consideration whenever I'm making certain decisions, which can be hard when you're blindsided by being your own person. And not having that team as well. Yeah. Like, this is really good, but actually it's not. And <laughs> you need to figure that out. No, you're absolutely, you're 100% correct. Which is, it's funny because getting in games 26, 27 years ago, you had nothing but limitations, you know? And so that was the that was the thing I fell in love at the beginning was like the fact that, um, you know, you had 15 colors and you somehow, to, you know, at, at steps of seven on a 256 um you know uh color palette so it's like hmm. you had to and you dithered you 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 exploited things like the fact that TVs you know bled colors on a horizontal line because of the way that that our uh what is it CRT tubes fucking worked back then and you took advantage of that and created <laughs> extra colors but we're, like coming up with those innovative workarounds for your color limitation or your palette limitation were were yeah. the joys of making video games and it's funny that we still had limitations at Naughty Dog, but of course we got really blind. I got blinded by just the power, you know, that team is like one of the most amazing talented teams in games. Clearly you just look at the games and you're just like, Oh, clearly there's a bunch of smart people working there who really care. But yeah. now that I'm on my own, it is, um, there's still a game that I want to, make and play there's a game just like you're saying like you want to create this podcast because it's like oh i would enjoy listening to that there's a game that i yeah. want to play that i definitely want to make and the question is now it's not so much about like team size and scope and thing well it is but it's also about lifestyle because now that i have some freedom and i've been away from work for a little bit i've gotten used to the luxury of like calling up a friend i haven't seen in a long time and going like hey dude like let's go for coffee you know, getting distracted. It, well, not even distracted. <laughs> just the fact that I have, I have, I didn't have that in my life for 18 years. Like I really yeah. dedicated myself to that company and, and to, for my own good, like this was my choice. It wasn't, it's not the industry. That's the funny thing about like crunch and stuff like that when we talk about it. And there's definitely different companies out there that have wildly different policies on production yeah. and the scale of production and how they treat their employees and blah, blah, blah. But I got to say, we're also a, an industry of people that are kind of broken and looking for some sort of that hole in our soul to be filled. And sometimes we dedicate it like work is what we think is going to fill that hole. And so we work ourselves to death on top of the fact that video games are really hard to make and they take a lot of effort but we go out of our way to put that effort in because we get something out of it. And so yeah, now it's about quality of life and how much I want to give up that kind of free time that I have and the ability to dedicate myself to relationships and friends and other things that aren't necessarily always making a game. And, and so, yeah, I, I still have a game. I, I can tell you the game right now that I want to make, but am I going to make it or not is the real question. That's where I'm at. And yeah, I think this game exactly. would be amazing, right. by the way. I'm going to total troll you. I'm going to troll that shit out of you right let's now. Just, let's this game is going to be so amazingly... 
<laughs> let's leave it at that before we don't want you to dig too big a hole just yet let's enjoy your let just enjoy your holiday first man. thanks man. i appreciate that that's a that's a true friend right there but i totally understand what you mean because i i mean everyone knows i i, I love video games a lot but it's not necessarily video games it's it's everything I love making video games. I love talking to people about the process of making them. I love the output that, I mean, starting this show, like listening to other people who make games talk about other games that have been made, like the dissection of that and what is important. And I think the inspiration, I think it's the inspiration and the, the positivity around them. So even after working at Rockstar and feeling very similar to you, when you, when you leave, it's like almost seeing the light finally. And the light is everything else you can do now. Yeah. And and that was, I had this idea for a podcast I wanted to do. I had this idea for like prototypes I wanted to make. I had this idea like I'm going to just go to Japan. I'm going to go like on a pilgrimage. I'm just going to like do all this creative stuff I've always wanted to do and have the time to do it. And that's the light. It's not necessarily like, oh, the video game industry is terrible right. and like all these horrible things are bad. It's just like, there are limitations to what you can do in your life because of the way it's structured and the way the video game industry works. And the light then happens to just be, Hey, I can go get coffee at 12 o'clock in the middle of the day with a friend. Now I don't have to schedule it to be 10 o'clock at night when I leave the office <laughs> for final, the final time. Yeah, you're hundred percent correct. And I, and I, and now the trick has been for me, um, how, um, who am I and what do I want to do? Like, what is that vision? Yeah. Like what? So right now I got like a thousand things cooking. Like I'm working on like, I don't know, five or six things, not getting paid <laughs> or with any real goal for any of them. But the fact that I'm getting to work on these five or six things is really fun. And they're all yeah. creative endeavors and they're all challenging me. And I'm, I'm really enjoying like the, your podcast. It, I'm sure it challenged you to figure out like, okay, that's what you want to do. Now, what, do you, what does that mean? How do you do it? And that's the yeah, fun is like rediscovering the joy of like how like how to do things that aren't just make video games has been really fun. And you say this blank canvas thing you talk about the light of like you can do anything. It's like, oh my God, I don't want to do anything. I want to find the thing that I can dedicate myself to. Like I or the couple things that I can dedicate myself to and just Yeah. Because yeah, like an artist, like they talk about it a lot. I, I'm a painter and and sitting in front of a white a canvas. A good painter, by the way. What's that? A good painter, by the oh, way. Oh, that's sweet of you. Um, I, it, it, that's been a fun challenge for me to go like, here's a blank canvas. Like, what do you want to say? Like, what do you want to do? And without saying like, yeah. having something on my mind or like even just limiting myself and just like, just explore complementary colors or just like the fucking color yellow. How crazy can you just go? What are you going to do with yellow and all the different arguments of what yellow can do and not do? And what do you want to do? But if I don't give myself some parameters, there's something that I just spin the fuck yeah. out, man. <laughs> I get nothing done. <laughs> it's good to have. It's good to have constraints. <laughs> well, it's choice, isn't it? And the choice to limit yourself to these certain things, and you know, to have structure is good. Yeah, but I agree. Also, not be not having the the limitations imposed by others or companies to stop you from making that choice is important i think that's where it comes from but unfortunately 
We're going to banish you to a deserted place with only eight games. So, I mean, I can't you can wait. do whatever you want on that island as long as it's not escape. But you're going to have some good time to play video games. Which is another question, actually. Since you left, have you, have you been playing a lot of video games? Have you found the time to do that? Uh, I'm checking out a bunch of games, but there haven't been many that I've gotten obsessed with. Like, I want to get obsessed. Okay. Like, it's that thing where, you know, I, I want to relish that feeling of, like, just waking up and thinking like fuck i just want to play that game like make coffee sit down in front of the tv and play the game some more i haven't yeah. gotten fully hooked by anything but i've been checking out a lot there's a lot of amazing indie stuff that i haven't gotten to play that's really fun just to like go on steam and roll around and pay like four bucks or you know nine bucks <laughs> you know whatever and just like check things out yeah from my friends make free-to-play kind of games or like itch.io or something and just check it's really fun to do that Mm. Uh, of course, you know, the Switch just came out recently, so that's been fun to check those games out. We'll get in, yeah. we'll get into some of that, I'm we'll, sure. We'll get into some of that, I'm sure, yeah. of course. It's unavoidable this, uh, well, last year, 2017. Um, but we are going to get into it, and we're going to start talking about the 8. But I think I just want to say, before we move on, Bruce, you are in that transitional period of your life. But I want to say thank you from everyone, I think, who has enjoyed your work over the time. You're, you're in this period now where you get to do cool things like this podcast, of course, which is such a highlight. Um, but honestly, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you over the time. And I get, the, as I said, the wonderful opportunity to talk to people who inspire me directly. But we've spoken a lot and... You have helped me focus a lot on certain things and stuff like that over the time. So I want to say personally thank you for the inspiration you give me constantly and just talking to me about the stuff and passing on your little experiences to me over the past few months. So thank you for that. Well, you're super I'm sweet, now, man. Thank you. I appreciate I, that. I'm now, I'm now in repayment going to banish you to a deserted <laughs> place, though. So okay. I'm sorry. Let's do it. But we, we are going to start talking about the A. So let's listen to some music from the first game on Bruce's list, which is just a, a great game. So let's listen to some music. And let's, of course, dive straight into Bruce's final games. So we're kicking things strong just immediately into Bruce's list. Such a wonderful game. One of the highlights of the Super Nintendo era. A game famed for its artwork, which I think as an artist, Bruce, you'll incredibly appreciate the artwork for this game. It's such a beautiful game. 
It's a game that was developed by Nintendo EAD and directed by famed Mario sort of counterpart with Shigeru Miyamoto Takahashi Tezuka. It released back on the Super Nintendo in 1995 on the cusp of the N64 coming out, so it was quite a late bloomer in that regard. But it is a platforming video game, Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island, the one that features baby Mario and Yoshi. Bruce, why is Yoshi's Island? <laughs> why is Yoshi's Island the first game that you're going to be taking with you? Uh, well, okay, so I have eight. Let's just talk about the premise for a second. It's eight is kind of crazy because three wouldn't be enough. Clearly, you'd never be able to. I'd yeah. never be able to pick three. But yeah. eight is just enough to get like a good grip with you and say like, okay, I got these games. But then it's not enough to take everything. It's too. It's not know, ten. You no, you can't take everything. Yeah. <laughs> so. I kind of, and I took this, I took this very seriously, Liam, like I'm on a desert island, like what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And if I'm not like getting stalked by some wild boar or trying to just like survive in freezing <laughs> rain in the tropics or something, if I can like, you know, go and play video games, then I, I, it's, it's not a list of my favorite games. I gotta no. say, or, or the most influential games. It's not that. It is literally what are the games that I feel like I could play a lot while on a desert island in which I would still get joy from or something challenging out of or uh, escape or whatever the thing is. And so one of the categories, because I like a lot of games, as we all do, like there, you, seldom do we run into people who are like just RPG people only or whatever. So yeah. So, you know, I, side scrollers, 2D side scrollers. I wanted 2D side scroller and I wanted joy. I wanted color and I wanted platforming. I kind of like platforming is in my heart as being a, a, a kid going over my best friend's house who had like the NES and like the first time you played Mario and you heard that tune rattling in your head. By the way, I don't know if it was cheating or not, but I almost had on the list, like, could I get the NES Classic Edition that has the 30 games, like, loaded up on it? <laughs> no one's done that yet. No one's done that. But technically, it's not a game, so you right. can take it. But what you can take is you people have people have twisted the system and they've taken compilations. Right. So there is, obviously, the Mario All-Stars pack that came out on the Super Nintendo, but right. it doesn't include Yoshi's Island, so... Right. I don't know. So so this was, this was the thing that I was going through because... Like, audibly, I want the original Mario soundtrack yeah. to be playing all the time in my head on this island, and I would just ha all constantly be in a good mood. <laughs> like, doesn't matter why <laughs> or not. Do, 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 do. Like, I would just be happy. Stab. And, but Yoshi's Island is, to me, like, the culmination of all like great 2D games, the mechanics, the even the tension of Baby Mario getting away from me and having to get him back, and then the mechanic yeah. of like each time he drops away, your the, the the timer in which he's allowed to be away from you is shortens. Like there's tension involved, and even though it's a 2D side scroller, there's there's a challenge there. Yeah. Uh, all of all of the mechanics are folded back into the core mechanics of like jumping and the double jump with Yoshi and the. I love that he eats things and then poops them out in eggs. Like, that's just a wonderful <laughs> animation. Like, who doesn't like that? Um, which he could then use as ammo. I think the mechanics are just strong as hell. I, the crayon sort of hand-illustrated backgrounds are gorgeous. Mm. Um, it's just a, it was, it was just a blast 
to play. And and yeah. I think that it's one of those games that I could continue playing over and over again. And I think that I would continually discover new things. And then I think there would be new challenges that would unfold. By the way, Raymond Legends is an amazing 2D side-scroll game. Have you played Raymond Legends? Yeah, yeah, and Origins, yeah. I loved Legends so much. Like during, I think we were playing, I think it came out during The Last of Us or right after The Last of Us, something. It was I around it, the same time, yeah. I played it right after making The Last of Us and it was like just such a breath of fresh air. <laughs> just <laughs> like, a palate cleanser completely. <laughs> oh, so this, so this is what nice games look like. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just such a joy to play something that was just nothing but pure fun. So it was a, it was a, it was a tight race between Yoshi's and Raymond Legends, but I think Yoshi's ultimately wins because it's just more creatively mm. just deeper. There's more things yeah. that I, as a creator, can look at and be inspired by and just like in awe of. And it took up four years to make this game. And Miyamoto actually has like quotes where he's just, he's like, he knew that the, like the, what is it? The PlayStation 1 was already out at the time. It came out in 94. Yeah. Yep. And and so this is kind of the end. The N64 is about to come out. And yep. he knows 3D is coming. And this is his last opportunity to really, like, okay, what can we do with 2D? Four years of just the most creative powerhouse 2D team ever. Mm. And his culmination ended up being Yoshi's. And by the way, and I love Yoshi. Who doesn't love Yoshi? He's my favorite Mario character. Like, the best <laughs> in the universe is Yoshi. So It's weird to think about it like that. I've never really put it like that. That really was the last of the 2D era, almost. Yeah. It was the swan song for what was easily the most influential part of the video game industry, this boom in 2D platformers from, you know, Super Mario Bros. right through to Super Mario World. In the meantime, there were so many clones, and then we were moving into the 3D space when, you know, we had Crash Bandicoot and Spyro and all those games that came out there afterwards. But this was the last put together 2d game of that era and right i mean what a game it was so yeah and and he also has doing. a quote where apparently he i didn't like the hype around donkey kong country as much as it was like a fun game it was like a playable game but it just was it didn't have depth it just and it i think everybody just got caught by the pre-rendered hype like the that look yeah. of the the 3d rendered into a 2d sprite and and that was the big selling point but missed out on the gameplay and so Miyamoto, just as punk rock fuck you middle finger as he could get, just decided to do the hand-drawn crayon background look, yeah. like the art style yeah. he chose, <laughs> which is just, to me, I want to take Yoshi's Island just so I can remember to be punk rock, you know, and just buck the norm. Because that's weird, the coolest fucking thing ever, like anybody could do, is just like, oh, you like that? Go fuck yourself. Yeah. I'm going to make like no, this... Badass crayon fucking game. <laughs> he has a habit of giving you what you don't know you want. <laughs> yeah, and then that's right. And you get it. You're like, I don't want this. And you play it like, oh no, wait, yeah, yeah, no, I wanted this. Yeah, I, I did want this, want this after and all. In retrospective, yeah. you know, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the Super Nintendo Classic, and I'm like, I fired up, you know, Yoshi's Island not that long ago, and it looks incredible. And I fired up Donkey Kong Country, and I'm not going to shit on Donkey Kong Country too much, but for the time, it may have been impressive, but those rendered graphics just don't look good now. 
They yeah. they they look like sludge on a screen. They don't look great. I don't like it. Um, and you compare it to the you know the handheld the handheld the hand drawn stuff. One is just timeless. It's like you know the pixel art of the Super Mario World and stuff like that. Is that will never get old. It will never change. It's a fascinating thing. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because whatever. But it's it it's kind of the same thing you could say about. Um, realistic you know like like hyper realistic graphics versus stylized graphics in general is like yeah even looking at the incredibles or something in pixar like anything that's trying to create some sense of realism is going to suffer the test of time because it at the time it was mind-blowing but it's going to continue to evolve so we're going to get better shaders we're going to get better lighting and i'm not saying people shouldn't push for that we should be pushing for that and there's something to that but at the same time making stylistic choices so that Hopefully you don't end up in that that hole, that garbage landfill yeah. of just, of you know like oh my god they we thought that was so realistic at the time but it's just it doesn't hold up it's just uh, like gaudy it's to the weird eye. it's weird you say that it's weird you say that obviously you know you are and we're part of the the people who push that forward that's right I mean let's not dog on too hard but Uncharted Four I mean it's probably the best looking game ever made in in terms of the the stuff you look at in that game, oh my god! Um, yeah, but it's when gorgeous. I think back to Uncharted Two, Uncharted Two gave me that same feeling, and in my head, because I haven't played it since then, it still does. But when I look at videos of it, then comparing it to Uncharted Four, there is a huge difference. There is yeah. it's such a big difference. It, it's you can't even you don't expect how big of a difference it is. But then if you look at a stylized indie game from, you know, 2010 or 11 when Uncharted 2 came out, and you're like, oh, this game still looks like every other indie game now because that yeah. style doesn't change and that style still stands true. Whereas you've had to really push Uncharted in this direction to look like this photorealistic thing. And that gets harder and more expensive and time-consuming as well, which is, is certainly a weird bit we're at in the industry now where there are only certain people do photorealism stuff yeah whereas before that was like the big push every 3d game wanted that photorealism but now people are kind of like oh yeah like if we want our game not to look like shit in one year time well we have to make all this kind of stylistic approaches to it well it's funny because like yoshi's island came out at you know probably the same year if not like soon around the first tomb raider which at the time yeah was mind-blowing in that it they it had like um grays and beiges and dark like it wasn't trying to do the traditional like overly saturated cartoony thing and now you look back at the first tomb raider and only because of the limitations of the poly counts it kind of has a stylization to it, so it kind of comes full circle that realism ends you, up being cartoonish. Think, which one do I want to look at for 10 hours? Tomb Raider or Yoshi's Island? Well, uh, yeah, I don't... <laughs> the but choice is kind of easy. Well, it's, it's funny, though, that it's just that... Um, I mean, yeah, I agree with you, by the way. Uncharted for the, the art team there is sick. There was, the, what they do is... Uh, oh good they're miracle workers and of course the programmers that support them and the rendering team and all this kind of stuff but it's like you wasted you wasted so much of my time with the photo mode so uh, much of my time (laughs) and and um you know i think neil and i had a conversation uh, um 
when we were first trying to find The Last of Us and the tone of The Last of Us and choosing, we like we were going down all the different routes of what kind of games we could be making and, and trying to make yeah. the best choices we could. So we would go down dead ends just for the sake of experimenting. And, you know, we just wanted to know. We wanted to be extra sure that the decision we're making is the right decision. So one of the conversation was like, you know, could we make this um, somber, subtle, heavy-toned experience in a cartoonish or um, stylized, you know, rendered graphics. Like, we both like Eco. We both think that, you know, Eco is one of the best games ever made, and that has its own sort of stylized reality. And I had, I, yeah. that was the first game that made me cry. And mm. uh, the maybe the only game that made me cry. And... Um, and and so we were debating that, and we we chose to go more realistic, specifically because we wanted to invest the player more into these characters as humans, as people with real emotions that we as humans could relate to. Yeah. And of course, later we played Telltale's, you know, version of Walking Dead, and you know that was so emotional and it's so yeah. heavy, and there's so much on my uh, weighing on me in that game, and I I had a visceral <laughs> experience of like after losing some people in my tribe or like doling out food and like getting in arguments with people and then new people come into the tribe and like, fuck it. How do I tell them to go away? Like, why don't they give yeah. me that choice? Cause I don't, I'm so emotionally wrecked in that game. And then I go back to Neil and we had that conversation like, yeah, go fuck yourself. We don't know what we're talking about. Like stylization <laughs> doesn't always equate or grounded graphics don't always equate to yeah. emotions or emotional sort of, you know, weight or something like but that. But even then, even then, I think what's fair to say about The Last of Us in comparison to Uncharted, Uncharted is definitely the uncanny valley. This looks How like... This looks like, oh my God, Nathan Drake's a real person. But then if you look at The Last of Us, it's definitely, the realism is there, but the characters you created in terms of like, you know, the the enemies with the the inspiration from like the fungus and the sort of stuff that comes through... They are these unearthly things that don't look realistic. They look very stylized. And there is a, a certain art style to them that sits in that game so nicely that takes away from that sort of... Uh, this isn't all about graphics. This is about looking at the art and the inspiration of what is around you. And then you balance that with the pieces in The Last of Us where you see all the na that nature is just taken over the earth. It's like reclaimed back what was taken from it. And there is this definitely duality to it, which I think makes The Last of Us so special in its own way. That's why it sits with a lot of people. There is such a balance to it. It isn't just like Uncharted, which is like, here's these beautiful Aztec ruins and this is the inspiration we took from, but they're very real things. With The Last of Us, you had to invent this brand new creature. So you had to take inspiration from real life but portray it in this very stylistic and art artistic way. Like they are such unique enemies that it, I, there are not many games that have such unique looking enemies like the last of us does. Cool. Yeah. Um, it's funny that we're talking about realistic graphics and naughty dog because I mean, as an ex art director and somebody heavily involved in art production at naughty dog, we always tried to take the tact that we're not making hyper realistic games. Funny enough, mm. Even though they look like Uncharted Four is phenomenal as far as like the facial, <laughs> like the what they did, the rigors and the technology they've come up with for like facial capture, and then the animators yeah. we have on board, et cetera. They, it's not we anymore, but then it was we anyway. The, <laughs> the, the, but 
we never tr intentionally made it hyper realistic. Like the choices, even in like Madagascar plains or something, is like shape language of like what those trees look like versus like the the hills and the slopes of the hills versus like trying to create sty a stylized language in the art so that it's readable as good art, but then the yeah. rendering should feel like it had the shaders and the quality of the lighting, et cetera, should have a, a sense of realism to it. The, the, the behavior, the physics of the light should be realistic. I think it's, a, I think it's that balance about when I hear people argue that photography is an art because it's pictures of real life. And, and which is always weird to me because the way you frame a photo, you take like a realistic subject or something, or the way you portray the lighting is art in its own way. It's the way you represent it through the picture you take just because it's a real subject doesn't mean anything. And I think that could be the same about hyper-realistic graphics. There is still has to be, I mean, I don't have the experience you do by any means whatsoever. So I'm talking out of my ass essentially, but there is that the thought process, as you said, it's like, how do we, how do we, we have to, obviously this is in Madagascar. So Madagascar, uh, we can't make it snow. Can we, it, that's not what the Madagascar landscape is. Like, you can't make those decisions, so you still have to stick to the limitations of real life, I think. So it has to look like a certain way, or people have, like, a certain expectation of what something looks like. If it's, like, an Aztec ruin, it has to look like this to a certain extent. But what is it within those limitations that we can play around with? What is it we can take inspiration from? I remember uh, you took a photo of like the books you had as reference for Uncharted and it's like, you know, Marco Polo's travels and Tibet and all these different things. And it's like you draw inspiration from all these realistic things, but then you create the, the overall art for that game, whether it looks hyper-realistic or not, it's still a piece of art. I think it's, it's I hard guess, to describe. No, the way, the way I maybe interpret what you're talking about is, is trying to boil down the essential elements that make up something. So you, we yeah. want to ground it enough to make the person playing it believe that they are truly in Madagascar, but you're trying to boil it down because you, we don't want to make realistic graphics. We want to boil it down so it gives you a feeling, a taste, and a tone of Madagascar. And of course, in video games, we have to also adhere to certain rules of shape language, of the, the language of interaction, like what can you climb on, what can your Jeep traverse on, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so there's those, that's kind of the art of video games also, is even though you have the power to like create anything, that if you don't have a vehicle or a mechanic that allows the player to go anywhere and climb on anything or whatever, then you need to create a language to say like, oh, the, now I understand this is the thing, the red wall yeah. I can't go on or I can't drive on or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But and you can't make a red like... wall in the middle of Madagascar. You have to look, you have to make it look like it's something else that looks unclimbable <laughs> like or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And it, I think it comes like uh, Breath of the Wild, for example. They did that talk recently in Japan where they talked about the shape of everything, where they used triangles. Yeah, that was great. To portray to the player certain aspects of the landscape and it would always be like you would hide things behind the triangles and then when it got visible the background would look like a triangle and it would be like you would always be visibly portraying to the player these triangles and that's how they would shape this giant open world that on the surface all looks very natural and similar there is, there is less of that visible mechanic to it so it is definitely this balance even when you're creating like either stylized graphics like breath of the wild or you're creating something that looks you know hyper realistic like uncharted 4 there is a genesis to both of them, which is super important. 
I really you like think it's that very interesting. paper, that triangle. We can move to the next game, by the way, but I really like that paper <laughs> that, that talk about the triangles because it's taking something which I think eco, again, I, I might talk about eco forever, by the way. We could just have one <laughs> game on the island maybe and go like, oh, well, eco. Which is surprising because it's not on your list for anyone wondering. Be- because <laughs> it's my favorite game, but it's not necessarily the most replayable game. Yeah. And so again, back to the conceit of this podcast. Like, I don't want to take this <laughs> Sorry, game dude. that after like an hour and a half, I'd be like, "Fuck! I brought this with me. Why did I do that?" I mean, I love this game, but like, I'd rather be playing Yoshi's Island right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, four years into it, you're gonna be like, "Fuck, Eco, man! Come on, can't this girl fucking do something on her own?" Like. <laughs> It's been four years already. Come on, girl. Grow up. <laughs> but I think it's interesting that we've gone from like Yoshi's Island to, to having this discussion because I think it just makes its way through all, every aspect of, you know, decisions we make when creating things. You know, you coming from an, an artistic background as well. It, it is weird and incredibly fascinating at the same time. Well, it's funny that you say that as a, as a developer because playing Yoshi's Island is also maybe that first time that I started realizing like the, like there's not a lot of one-off kind of coded stuff in Yoshi's Island. Every boss and every, everything you're doing, not everything you have, you have some things where you can transform into like a helicopter, but it's still like a core mechanic. You can do the helicopter several times over. So it's a reused mechanic that they created. There's not a lot of one-offs, if any one-offs in Yoshi's Island. And that goes back to one of my core principles as a designer, which I had to learn, you know, through seeing other people do it properly, like in Eco or like in Yoshi's Island, that, you know, you could spend a huge amount of budget, and I mean like both money and people and time, et cetera, on creating a one-off that you have to then train a whole new mechanic and get the player up to speed on this whole new language. And then then you have to get them to then exploit the new mechanic. And then, you know, you can't do that in enough time to make a boss fight yeah. or some something really like impactful versus relying on your core mechanics on everything. And so Yoshi's Island is one of those first games that I think hit me without me knowing it, that it's like, oh, everything is just fucking core mechanics. It's just your, yeah. this is your core the, stuff that you're Nintendo doing. Nintendo with the genius is that, end. oh, they taught me everything in the first 10 minutes of the game. Right. And now I'm, six hours into this game facing this boss and i'm using the stuff i learned within the first 10 minutes then it's how, the, how you react way. to how the environment reacts to you or how this exactly. new mechanism like they use gravity i remember there's this like platform that has like there's four platforms stacked on sort of like a rail and you use jumping on one side of the platform that rotates it around and it has physics to it like it if i'm if i jump on the platform it drops to the lowest platform and won't continue so i have to continually jump this is so difficult to explain on a podcast <laughs> without visuals but at any rate it's it was just one of these things where all i'm doing is using jump to crank a lever to get a platform across a chasm but of course it's a chasm of death so there's this tension inherent like a good platformer should have like this sense of like dread that's like fuck i really got to make this next jump yeah i love i love yoshi's island it was, it's such a fun game well, you can take it with you, and uh, you can take it alongside the next seven games we're going to talk about. Right. But we're going to move on to the next game first, and we have to sort of we're going to we're going to tell you off a little bit because you've kind of cheated. Come on, on this next one, give me it. Uh, you've a little, you've cheated a little, so we'll have to talk about it. But first, we're going to listen to some music, and then we're going to talk about the place in which we're going to send you. We're going to have to talk about that as well. So let's listen to some music and let's dive straight into it.
jumping in to the next games. Plural. <laughs> yeah. Plural. Not singular, which is... Come on. Which is hard. Um, before we get to telling you off, let, we have to talk about the, the deserted island in which we're going to send you. Or deserted place we can think of. Um, so... I am cruel, and I'm sending you away to a deserted place with only eight games. Obviously, you can't take Ico because you've got to make better choices than that. You know, in terms of the gameplay you want out of the next however long I'm it is you're I'm not taking the best place. game ever created with me. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but I allow you the choice of place, at the very least, with the caveat that it's going to be deserted. There are going to be no one. There's no. There's not going to be anyone to help you. But it has to also be from video games. It has to be an environment or a place from video games. Any video game. With the caveat, of course, there's no one there. There's no NPCs to help you. But if you pick a pick a place that has, like, wildlife to it... I mean, if you go to a deserted island in, in the real world, there could be animals or wildlife to it. So you have to think about the dangers potentially. So if you chose somewhere... You know, like Delfino Island from Super Mario Sunshine. Well, there's no danger. So that would just be a beautiful tropical island. But if you potentially chose somewhere like Uncharted, you could choose, you know, some of the Aztec ruins and stuff. There could be like sharks in the water. There could be monkeys that steal your food. There could be all sorts of troubles in those kinds of places. But wait, but so, I, so is one of these places, like if I picked just, for example, Yoshi's Island, am I in this fucking Crayola nightmare universe that I'm just looking yes. at? <laughs> Yes, you are. <laughs> like nothing yes, looks are. real at all and just, okay, I can't. All right, yeah. It's like that Homer Simpson episode where he like walks into the 3D world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like inverse and your you're 3D in a 2D. Could you even sit on anything? I don't know. Either. We're getting too deep into it. But you're allowed the choice of a place you're going to go to. I, 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 you mentioned the thing that I would probably, okay, there's two places that pop in my head. No. In Uncharted 4, either the Madagascar Plains or Libertalia, the final island where Avery yeah. ships and all that is. And I think I'd have to go with Libertalia just because it's more dense and it has more diversity and it has way more interesting places to visit in my time stranded. And even with potentially sharks in the water, my God, do you want to swim in that water? Yeah, I would. I would oh. enjoy. I'd enjoy being on that island. That the art in that game in that island is, again, none of my doing. I just said like, make it cooler. <laughs> <laughs> make it look more awesome. <laughs> Can you make it more awesome than this? No way. We like, need to tune the graphics in the libertarian island. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, that island is phenomenal. That it's it's just gorgeously rendered. The color palettes, everything about it, uh, the water, the uh, there's a jeep on the island, so I get to use that, right? Yeah, if it's yeah, yeah, Don't? I guess. Well, technically, this is unfair because you're the first person to choose someone from there, choose somewhere from their own games, which you have meticulously crafted yourself to be like, huh. Well, one day I'll go on final games and <laughs> I'll choose this island. So I'm going to put like a supply kit inside Dude, of boats. the jeep. There's boats I can use on the island. There's a jeep. There's all sorts of stuff. So yeah, I'm going there. <laughs> Nobody's there. You can get rid of the people. I get to yeah, use the vehicles. We can't let you escape though. either. We can't let you escape. So I'll have to take the boats out. I'll have to make no, a no, visit no, no, to the no, 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 no. In your fucked up little world, you can put a bubble around the island <laughs> that doesn't allow me to leave. That's fine. I'll go with that. Let's shake on it. <laughs> Let's virtually okay, shake. We're, shaking. Right. we're virtually shaking. 
<laughs> cool. Well, we're going to let you go. Well, we're going to send you to Libertary after this, which is like, you know, full circle. We're coming full circle on your career and the the work you've done. So we can send you away to a, a piece that you have helped create. <laughs> that would um, be kind of sad, huh? You're like, this used to be my career. This used to be my life. Now, now, I, it's my now I banished to this planet. <laughs> I live in exile in my own creation. It'd make a good movie. <laughs> Yeah, that would actually. Isn't that called Jumanji or something? Movie. By the way, I heard the I new Jumanji's fun. I just dated our podcast now that I can't believe Jumanji is going to be good, but I kind of now want to see it. We could both we could both say insert here Jumanji was good, insert here Jumanji was bad, insert here this go. is not the year Jumanji came out. Ignore everything Bruce <laughs> says from here on out. But before that, we have to tell you off a little bit because it's eight games. It's not nine games. It's not it's not eight games in a series of episodes. It's it's. It, but are, it's aren't games. episodes an, under the umbrella of a game? Like, mm, I guess episodes so. episodic, yeah. right? It, or just okay. it's one game with just it's come out like a series. But then we have to. But then you would be taking the second game in the series specifically without the first one. Okay, so fine, fine. If that's what you want to do, you fucking meanie. so you you noted down half-life bracket series i was like no we're not having that we're not we're not having that you just go with it man like come on it's i I do usually but you called me a meanie so you know i'm gonna be mean about it no but (laughs) you did put half-life down and of course we can talk about half-life forever half-life 2 is one of the most influential fps's in the entire industry, you know, Half-Life 3, the joke has been around for, God knows, 15 years now and it will forever be old. Um, and it's almost impossible I think Valve could ever make Half-Life 3 now. Uh, it's gotten to that point. Not going to happen. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> Let's all face facts. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And even if it does, it's not going to be anywhere near as good as anyone wants it to be because it has to be the most perfect game ever made. We yeah. can't possibly live up That's to the hype. True. But of Last course... Last Guardian. We, I didn't think Last Guardian was going to get made, though, and it got made. It did. And it's funny because we were talking about The Last Guardian before. The, oh, my God. This makes this podcast feel old now because someone talked about Ico and Shadow of the Colossus before The Last Guardian came out. We were speculating then uh... that it will never come out. God damn it. Anyway... We're talking about Half-Life, and of course Half-Life 1 came out back in 1998 and was, alongside games like Deus Ex and Doom and other PC shooters at the time, it fitted right in. It was this sci-fi shooter that had story to it. Story that, you know, we hadn't really seen stuff like that in first-person shooters before. But then we had Half-Life 2, which came out as part of the Orange Box and was this sequel no one expected to just dominate everything that for that time the the physics the the story the shooting just i don't know what it is with valve did with half-life 2 but it took the world by storm for a long time and it's understandable why you would want to take both games well uh okay let me let me explain a little bit Oh, you got some explaining to do. I'm on a desert island, trapped there for the remainder of my life. And um, yeah, I started thinking like, well, okay, I want a female in my life. I want some woman that I could, you know, be like, yes, this is my girl. This is my gal. Like, we're stranded together. <laughs> and, of course, I'm alone. So 
I started thinking about like those weird fucking weird like super weird japanese dating like games on like the 3ds or some sort of oh, PC like love thing. life and stuff like yeah that. where you can like like build a girlfriend <laughs> and have a relationship and cook her food and take her on dates and things and i thought like maybe i would do that and then as i started making my list i'm like yeah but i don't have a shooter on here and i wanted a shooter so how else to get the best of both worlds but getting alex the most badass like woman in games W- mixed with a shooter mechanic which is also with the story and i get dog the yeah. robot pet dog of hers and like the you know everything that half-life 2 of course is uh and the episodes it's like um yeah I just, so it's really about alex more than half-life fuck half-life i just want to hang out with alex <laughs> on a deserted <laughs> island for the rest of my life <laughs> well then if it's not so much about the two games or the series as a whole, then because you know we've established that the series is great, you can only take one of the two. Then is the answer obvious? Is it? Would you t- only take two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, For so sure. we're gonna say you're taking Half Life Two and the episodes. Well, you know, we'll Aww, let that. thanks, slide. thanks, Liam. I appreciate that because definitely the later episodes, like episode what two, episode three gets. Alex and Dog get some good moments there, so yeah. Well, then there we go. You know, well, uh, thanks, and, Liam. You know, You're not mean it after like all. DLC, that's part of a game. You know, we can we'll fit it all in and that kind of thing. So this is purely just because you want Alex, then. No, okay. So Half Life clearly <laughs> is like one of the, like you said, <laughs> most influential, amazing games that came out. I think that uh, it's funny. Again, like I come from. I come from a console background. I really wasn't a PC gamer. Like there was a time that I had my own company in the nineties and we were a small organization. We were also making like a game for the Sega Genesis yet we were working on PCs and we played doom all the time. And I literally brought the company down. Like it was going to bring the company down because we weren't working. We were just playing doom for fucking like 10 hours in a day. (laughs) And we had to create rules to not play doom. Um, because we weren't going to finish the game we were supposed to be making they, for our publisher. Didn't they do that in the actual Doom studio as well? Like when they were making it, they were spending too much time play testing it in their office. Dude, we did that with Uncharted 2 multiplayer. It's like when you're, when you're literally after a full day's work, somebody yells out is just like, you know, pistols were snipers or something. And then everybody's just like, oh, like, and you're fighting to get in <laughs> get before in. the room fills up. Like, you know you're making a fun game, and there's nothing better. I'm sure the dudes making PUBG are thinking the same thing. It's just like, I'm sure that they're playing that game because it's a fucking good game. So there's nothing better as a developer than to make a game. We did it with battle mode for uh, CTR, Crash Team Racing, as well. We would, yeah, all through Crunch, we would kind of have stress relief matches and competition. You'd take out grievances. We made decisions yeah. sometimes for things that had to be decided that couldn't be decided. Just like, okay, who's going to win the match? <laughs> <laughs> but Half-Life 2, um, I don't know where I was starting or getting at, but there's this there's this interesting thing about PC people who were raised with like PC games versus like console games. I think there's this dogma out there in the industry. I'm a pretty open dude about like I know my influences oh, yeah. and I know what I just cater to. It's just my taste because of like what I'm what I've been brought up with is what I platformers and stuff like that. Yeah, and it, yeah, but they only really existed on console. It, it, that's how it was. And Half-Life 2, though, just 
I don't know, shook up my whole world as far as like the type of storytelling you could do, character creation, the missions, the using physics. It was the first time I saw physics like really exploited in a in a problem solving way. And as like yeah. there's a there's a solution space that uses physics. And I did just use kind of inherent knowledge of how the world works to help me solve problems, that kind of stuff. And it was consistent throughout. It's kind of like what we're talking about before, um, where I don't, I shouldn't have to think about like this mechanic and train up with a mechanic. It's like by using physics, like, oh, I know that I'm going to drop this cinder block and it's going to load up some sort of crate that's hooked up to a pulley system and open up that door because I, I just need more cinder blocks because like that equals more weight which adds more like to the door like I understand how this problem or how this puzzle works inherently by the nature of physics and I think they did that wonderfully the blue tubs or whatever they are those like bins that are under the water when I'm on the hover bike whatever the fuck the thing is and I'm going through like the sewer systems and I have to get off and I swim underground and I release those blue tubes and because they're filled with yeah. air they make something then rise up in the water and so just just the aha moments of the problem solving with physics was amazing um and then uh the honestly the weapon wheel and the choice of weapons like and then when you get the, everybody loves the gravity gun and then the gravity gun plus it's like that whole a plus b sort of concept of systems design that when you get into what is it raven home or whatever the name of the town is that you pick up the saw yeah. blade with the gravity gun and then shoot it and you cut a person in half and you're like holy fuck yes like i just figured yes. that out like i i yeah. you know there i'm was a just, genius there was something in the inherent nature of playing with the systems that allowed you to exploit the systems and make your way through these areas. And I think that to, to this day, the, the coupling the storytelling with those systems, uh, again, it's just kind of become one of my core principles of design. Even though I haven't been able to use it in every game to its full extent, it's still like in me, it's just like, that's the goal. That's always the goal. Yeah. Yeah. So Half-Life 2 does that in spades. And even the weapon wheel, we, in Tilu, in The Last of Us, we, I basically, you know, since we were going to, I didn't want to have, like, Alan Wake had this thing where they would drop your weapons sometimes. And in a survival game, I didn't like that feeling at all. So I wanted to keep weapons. And Half-Life 2 was a real inspiration for me as far as, but it was like, you don't know what Gordon is wearing. He doesn't have a backpack. He's just a sci-fi dude. It's a video game. He's yeah. keeping all this stuff with him. But you don't think about that, do you? In a, in a third-person game, we kind of had to show it on Joel. We wanted to see yeah. the weapons on his back and, and having a backpack and then opening the backpack and seeing what's inside was because was the main menu or not the main menu, the, the selection menu, crafting menu that has supplements, et cetera. And so, but having all those weapons accumulate over the course of the game and then having a quick select ability, a menu that you could swap weapons and load weapons easily really i looked at half-life 2 for the solution for that and that's amazing that i could look at a game that came out in 98 for a game that helped for 2013 game you know like that <laughs> shows like the merits of the design and the Just ability of that team to put together that game it's amazing mm. fantastic wow i'm very intrigued to know the thoughts on the next game i'm i'm half thinking because of the decisions you've made so far and the reasons as to what you're taking to the island because you want that sort of lasting 
gameplay thing so i can see where you're coming from this next game but i'm very intrigued about just in general the next company's sort of style of making games and how it sort of how you think about how they design things so i'm very intrigued so let's listen to some very iconic sort of i don't know roaring beats of the viking nords uh, just get into some uh, i just want to sing it myself when it kicks in it's such a great tune so let's listen to some music from this next game and let's of course dive straight into it So if you couldn't tell from that piece of music, then where have you been for the last 10 years? Because this game has been released so many times, including twice alone this year, once as a VR version, and of course the Switch port that was praised for being an incredible port and really bringing some new life into this game. A game that people are still playing now, thanks to all of the mods and all the things you can do to this game. Just it has taken a life of its own, which I imagine this year never really thought would happen. But of course, the studio is Bethesda, Bethesda Game Studios themselves, directed by the very lovely Todd Howard, and it's released on every platform, PC, Xbox, Xbox 360, Xbox One, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, the Nintendo Switch, as I said. It's an action role-playing RPG, which takes place in the land of Skyrim. It is, of course, the Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. Bruce. Is this one of those, well, I'm going to a deserted island, I better take a giant fucking RPG with me, or is this a little more depth to why Skyrim is uh, the next choice? Uh, definitely, the I'm on a desert island, and I need something to whittle away lots and lots and lots and lots of time. That being said, it is, <laughs> I had, ex like, first of all... I, I, I'm not an RPG guy. I'm not. I've never been into RPGs. I've, the open world actually is something that I sometimes have a problem with. Um, again, just because of the nature of the games I grew up with and the games I make. Um, yeah. And usually they're not really done in a way that I, I. I. It's fun for a while. Like I love GTA. GTA was on the list for a while. And I was really debating about GTA and all the things I could do. And there was just something about like the the storytelling in it, the characters in it, and that world just seemed too slimy. You know, I just can't project into that world and enjoy GTA, but I wanted open world uh, just because of the opportunities that, in the, again, systems, kind of like Half-Life. I think Skyrim and what they do at Bethesda, and specifically with that game, one, the whole Nordic kind of Viking kind of... Um, 
that whole gestalt is just a adventure fantasy ripe yeah. for me. I love yeah. I love just the sense of like heading off into the mountains and just seeing what you can find. And it was the first game that I played, a real open world RPG, role play, all this kind of stuff that really grabbed me. Like honestly, I spent a lot of hours in Skyrim and I was almost embarrassed by it a little bit. Like <laughs> because I wasn't, I, I never grew up with like, I don't know, Final Fantasy. I tried to play Nino Kuni, like all those other games, uh, the World of Warcraft. None of those games ever like grabbed me. And then this game, I just sunk in. And the system, the stealth system with the eye was like, I think, a genius uh, when you're going to get found out or not. Um, the switching from third person to first person and your choice is amazing. Uh, the sense of, I there were moments in playing that game that I would stumble on that, that it, it, it revealed the design to me and how genius the design is of that world in the game and how much work that team put into it. And that's an example was like, I was, I don't know where I was on the map, but I remember just getting zapped by some fucking witch up in some hut or something. And I just ran. I just ran from her, and she had some, like, cloaked dudes, some priests around her, and they chased me for a little bit, and, and, like, a wolf got in their way, and they zapped the wolf, and I'm just like, that was amazing, and I kept running. I'm just, like, freaked out, and then I went off and journeyed for, like, another, like, like five days or something. You know, I don't know. I just I was just playing the game for a while, and I happened to go back into that same woods, not knowing I was in the same woods, just because I'm, like, out roaming around adventuring, because that's what you can do in that world. Yeah. And then I see the witch and she starts zapping and the cloak dudes start swarming me again. And now I've gone to the magic school. I've, I've worked with some allies. I've got some new powers. I learned how the alchemy works, like all sorts of things. And suddenly I laid that bitch to fucking waste. Like she was just dead, like <laughs> smoldering. And I, and the power that I felt without knowing, like it wasn't like they were setting up this thing that like, you know, like you need to build XP and they had a like number. That's the other thing. I hate games with numbers and HUD and all that kind of stuff and telling me too much like about what to do or what, you know, I, I, I there was something, I hate the word diegetic, but there's something organic and diegetic in that there that, I went off and played the world, and like a hero, I learned some mechanics, I learned some skills, and I came back to an environment that used to daunt me, and I dominated it in a way that truly felt like I did that. I yeah. accomplished something I that I couldn't do before, everything. and that that was empowering, and and that really showed me for the first time the power, like truly the power of like adventuring and the sense of building up skills and XP and understanding systems. And, 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 you know, at the, at the beginning when I ran into her, I didn't understand a lot of the game and only by playing with the game for a long time did I sink into like really getting familiar with the systems and, and the risk reward of certain things and yeah. choosing to, you know, carry certain types of armor with me or not, or choosing to go to the magic school or not, etc. And, and I had it pay off in spades. And then, of course, then you meet something even greater than that witch. And then I feel like, oh, now. Then it starts, like, dragging a little bit. Then it starts becoming a little tasky. And that's the thing I don't like. But at the same time, if I'm stranded on a desert island, I'll be more than happy just to keep playing for another 40 Dude, hours and go back. And, tasks kind yeah. of thing, yeah. But so that game's amazing. The, the thing with, like, choosing RPGs, I think, the, the obvious... 
The obvious answer to it being this huge RPG that can waste a lot of your time and take a lot of the time while you're on the desert island is, I mean, it's a no-brainer, of course, but a lot of people do choose RPGs they've already played. And I don't know... That, for me, conflicts with the idea of taking something that will take up a lot of your time. If you already know the experience you're going to have, is it worth the risk on a new RPG that it will be brand new and you'll spend hundreds of hours experiences in this new world compared to spending hundreds of hours in a world you already know. I thought about that actually because, and that's the real risk if you're strand, if, if you're truly trying to take the premise at, to heart. I don't want to take a game and risk that one of my eight games is, is a stinker because there's a lot it's of a stinker game. games out there. So okay. I've had just enough. I didn't beat Skyrim. And even though I put, I don't know, 35, 40 hours into it, there's like way more that I can do. And just the fact that I can select a different character I can not go to the magic school and do something else. And this is, again, the depth in that game. And the fact that, one, you could do fuck all, or you could totally... Like, I had allies <laughs> with me at times where I actually grew all sorts of jankiness, which never would have, like, made it out of Naughty Dog. Like, we wouldn't have dialogue stomped <laughs> on top of, like, combat scenarios. And, like, Bethesda is not worried about that. They're just, like is the core experience that you get to do whatever the hell you want to do still there? Are we providing yeah. you the power to choose to get into yeah. that, like a fight while the person's trying to have like a serious conversation? It's just like, okay, fuck it. We're going to like support that. Yeah. And they put all the power in the player's hands. And I, I got to say, I applaud that because that allowed for these moments where this, ally is with me and I'm building true empathy and they start we start like fighting something together and then I ended up I don't know not taking care of I don't know if I even have a system of like ally protection or not but all I know is like I thought that that girl was able to take care of herself and she wasn't and she died and I felt Oops. bad I felt like holy shit like maybe I should have ran and she would have like followed me and I could have like lured her away and then we could have like you know built up XP I don't know but the possibilities, I don't know if that's even possible, but something in that game makes me think it is the way Bethesda creates things. It's like, I maybe bet you could, maybe, there I don't is know. Some, there is some outcome that is probably different to that in some aspect, yeah. And then all of a sudden you're just walking across like the day-night cycle and it's nighttime and you're in the middle of the marsh and you see a giant with its like pet mammoth and just trundling across this marsh in the middle of like a full moon night. And I'm... I'm just watching this fucking giant and a mammoth walk across <laughs> the universe with like the Nordic, like the, the, what is it? The, the, the green the shit in the lights. sky. What is it? <laughs> the green shit in the sky. Uh, Aurora Borealis. Aurora Borealis. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the green shit in the sky. <laughs> when the Aurora Borealis is behind them and it's just like, I, and, and I, I'm just blown away by the fact that th I just stumbled onto a giant with this pet mammoth, which by the way, you can aggro and you can fuck with the yep. mammoth. And then of course, then the giant will come at you and just d destroy you. And you're Straight like, Oh, this guy. that's like, if somebody like fuck with my cat or something, you know, I'm going to destroy you too. Like I just messed with this pet <laughs> dog. Like that's not cool Don't at mess all. mess with Bruce's cat. <laughs> and then I walked around a corner. Like, so I just had this, um, uh, this kind of awe inspiring moment. And I turn a corner and it's dark and there's the entrance to one of those caves, you know, uh, um, they're all over the place and, you, you know, treasures in the yeah, caves. You so you're going to go into in. One. Yeah. Sometimes you run into bandits in there, sometimes not. Sometimes there's this whole story arc, which is amazing. Um, 
that they put that kind of detail into it. You stumble onto it. And then as I'm entering the mouth of this tunnel, out of the shadows, some guy jumps me. He just rushes at me and starts attacking me. So I was ambushed. And I was because I'm still in like woolly mammoth giant mode, it, I like screamed at the TV and I just like zapped him and I, I had like a good like quick 10 second fight or something with him. But that <laughs> the ebb and flow and the tension and of course what I always try to do in design and what we all want to try to do, both good movies, good books, whatever, is the element of surprise. Yeah. And if if I can catch somebody off guard with systems, again, if I can have those moments that come up emergently, man, I mean, and they, I had those moments in that game, so I can only imagine that if I had it on the desert island, like, I'm sure that there's way more to be revealed. I would, I'm looking forward to those reveals, for sure. The game I imagine amazing. so. Yeah. And that's the thing, isn't it? The, the thing about Skyrim, you can be just, a, a, you know, taking in the environment, and then just out of nowhere, there could be, like, bandits uh, uh, the one thing i always really liked is that if you walked along the actual roads instead of you know just intersecting and crossing against it if you actually just followed the roads of the game the roads all led to the towns and yeah. there would be so many random characters like you would come across the 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 opposite faction i can't remember what they're called to the nords what are they called right they're like sort of more soldier-like people and they'd be like what are you doing do you have like money or do you have this? And they would just like attack you if you didn't. And you'd have to like talk your way out of situations. And you're just like walking along the road and you'd experience these weird things. And you, you would, you could also see like people running towards you in a distance. You're like, and you would like stare at them and you'd be like, what is that? What does he want? And he's just like running at you like frenzied and wants to kill you. He's just all these weird experiences. And I always thought like, that is like what they went for with Skyrim. And it, yeah, like they have the jank and they have all the story and the story doesn't really like um, 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 amount to much. But the experiences and the because of the emergent systems in the game, just yeah, well, st stuff you have is crazy. Yeah, and of course, even even the little dialogue trees and options that you have in the villages and to pick up tasks and like little little simple things like oh that person's asleep because it's nighttime. Just yeah. again, back to like the physics in Half-Life, there's something about the inherent nature of creating a reality and understanding the reality and, the, and then just sticking to the constraints of that reality in the game. I really, yeah. enjoy, I love that because it lets me as a human that understands a reality to just instantly understand like, oh, right, I'll just come back in the morning and then we'll get that mission. He'll or be awake. Like yeah. Sleep or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it's just fun well, things that make it feel more real. Well, speaking of perfectly crafted realities and experiences, um, going from jank to sort of what some people mark as almost perfection-like in its represent in its presentation and the way this game, then this next game is crafted. It's personally one of my favorite PlayStation Four games out there. It's just incredible. I think we should listen to some very somber and haunting music from this next game. Let's, of course, dive straight into it.
So jumping in to the next game on Bruce's list then, and this is a game I'm very excited to be talking about. We've spoken about it on the show quite a few times before, and of course, the Soul series in general, because this series seems to inspire a lot of developers and a lot of people, um, and just has hit a lot of people in certain areas they didn't know could, in terms of design and world building and crafting a map and all kinds of different things. It's, of course, developed by From Software and directed by Hidetaki Miyazaki. It was this smash hit for PlayStation 4 that was an exclusive to that console as well. It released back in March of 2015, just before The Witcher 3 came out, if I remember rightly, because I had uh, quite a time deciding which one I wanted to play. This one took precedent after I had played it for one hour because it was just fantastic. It's the action role-playing gothic horror game, Bloodborne. Bruce, yeah. why Bloodborne? Bloodborne. Well, again, I'm trapped on a desert island. I need something. <laughs> I, skills. It's it's really about the skills. And this game has it in spades. Like, y- you have to be able to play this game. You have to learn the systems. You have to understand how to build uh, your character, how to use your character. You have all the different sort of combinations of the different weapon wielding it just feels like there's just so many combinations and so many opportunities that this game kind of becomes an infinite player. Like, you know, you don't necessarily... And then with New Game Plus, you don't have to stop playing. Like, you know, you just keep going back in and the, now the enemies deal more damage and it's... Yeah, the game just kind of keeps giving. It's a game that keeps keeps on keeping on. It's amazing. How are you with the quote-unquote hard games? like this type of game do you relish the challenge or well, you know because in charge like the normal mode is you know it's it's quite a challenge but it, you know anyone can really get through it but you are notorious for the the later difficulties of uncharted are fucking one hit kills and you're you're out so it gets quite tough in the uncharted games how are you with like games that are from the outset extremely punishing it's funny because when i for, I did. I had no experience with, you know, Dark Souls, Demon Souls. This kind of, so I'm really unfamiliar. I came into Bloodborne a noob, and um, quite honestly, I had a real hard time getting into it because, <laughs> yes, they don't hold your hand through tutorials. They're not trying nope. to like instruct you like how you're supposed. Well, what even the fucking evade button is, like they're not really helping much at all. Which is, it goes up against everything that I want to try to do. Like when we talk about Half-Life and physics and sort of reading into the world and Skyrim and reality and these kinds of things. And that's one way of training. But the other way of training is just like, okay, introduce the mechanic. Let the player fuck around with the mechanic for a while so that they like use it. And then exploit the mechanic. And now hopefully the player learns the mechanic. Yeah. Bloodborne doesn't give a fuck about any of that. <laughs> Bloodborne is heavy metal. <laughs> Bloodborne is straight Norwegian death metal, man. It's <laughs> it's like um so I, I I mean I cheated. I went online because everybody's like hyped the game so much and I had such a hard time getting into it. Like I watched like a beginner's guy, like here, you bunch of noobs, here's what you should be thinking about when you go into Bloodborne. And just having like a couple tips in my back pocket and then really examining like the control spec because it's so Japanese. That control spec is just so not Western, like which kind of I enjoy because I played enough Japanese games when I was younger that I'm like, 
it brought back a certain nostalgia. The memories, yeah. <laughs> and, like um, they're bad and they don't make sense, but I fucking love them anyway. <laughs> yeah, but, and, and, and once once you start playing, I, it, I there's no reason Western games have jump on X and Japanese games have jump on triangle. And it's like, we think like it means like your feet, so we put it on the bottom button, and they think it but means up. But they think up. it means up. <laughs> so like so, yeah, so it, it's just a different mindset, and it once I play it for a while, sure, of course, it makes sense, and I don't ever think about it again. But God help me if I try to pick up Bloodborne after I haven't played it for a month and try to remember what the hell the controls are, or especially after playing like Uncharted for a while or something, and then. Oh my God, like what button does what? And then everything feels so lethal. You like can't even like play around in that world. You can't like, <laughs> you know, try to pick up the pieces again. Like where did I leave off? But anyway, that game is a, is a, just like you said, and it's just as a designer, it's so perfectly crafted. Um, again, there's just certain Japanese sensibility to it, which I really appreciate. Like in naughty dog and western developers there's a certain amount of like forgiveness like we want to have um breaks in the animation tree so that you can you know if i'm in the middle of a roll but you want to attack well at a certain point you want to be able to pull out of the roll and still attack or whatever and um and these branching animations are always available in western games it feels like and we're trying to make it more accessible but then in the japanese true design sort of approach it's like, well, if you commit to this move, then you're committing to the animation and the length. And they, I'm sure that they have like a ton of Excel sheets and they're tracking exactly how many frames the animation is and how much time that's going to take. And that's going to mean that this enemy needs to have this counter, which is faster than the length of animation for the role or what. Like, yeah. I know that they have this matrix set up because that's how they're designing the animations. That's how they're designing the moves. And it fits because then you have this absolute understanding of the risk reward involved with every single move that you make. And then little mechanics like, oh my God, the genius of like Gears of War was once on my list here. And because I think that game's great. The first Gears is is really great. But one of the genius things in Gears is that um, the quick reload, the the little notch on the reload that yeah. if you can time it right, then you can get and the you get like a damage boost. Yeah. And that's just such a beautiful simple i mean it doesn't make any fucking sense not at all it's a game it's a game and it's something that me as a gamer i can learn and i can learn to exploit and it's a skill and i like skills and and bloodborne has that also where it's like you know you just took damage from an enemy and if you attack them back within a certain amount of time then you can regain a certain amount of your health and this gets this really fun play of like, how greedy am I? How damaging is this guy? How much am I well, going to regain? Like On top of that, it acts as almost the tutorial for the player. It's like, in Bloodborne, it's not Dark Souls. You don't play defensive. You have to play offensive. And look, we'll show you. If you get attacked, there's this thing that if you attack back, you'll get your health back. So yeah. you should go ham and you should fucking attack as much as possible. And it's like influencing the player's style to be like, well, this is how you should play the game, and this is what we're gonna we're gonna reward you for doing so. Yeah, and and but it's playing with so much lethality that it's back <laughs> on the player to go like, but it's your choice. Like if you wanna if you think you can get your health back, dude, then go for it. Like like <laughs> and um what's the other I mean the, the what's the the blood not the blood vials, but the echoes. 
just that again the simple system and i think it came from demon souls or dark soul i think yeah so they had messages on the floor right and um you know you could get your souls back and you could also read messages and stuff like that the the mechanics go through they're 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 visually different but like with the blood echoes you know they're basically just souls in the in the previous games yeah i love that I mean, it's, again, one of those things that I wasn't familiar with before that. And, you know, I, I think that there's some other games that have had it way in the past or something like some um, roguelites or something. But it's like this, again, that risk-reward and that, that sense of like, fuck, I just had like 5,000 echoes. I should have gone and bought something with them, but I didn't. Or I was on my way I back. get it back. Right. And then now, I have, now I have to commit to like finding them. I have to like, which way did I go? And now that demon picked him up and they're not even like now he's possessed by he's got my echoes and i have to now kill the demon that killed that killed me so there's this extra (laughs) revenge sort of like story going on uh, to get my shit back (laughs) and i don't know what the hell is going on in that story and i kind of don't care like that truly is like i it's it's i didn't invest that much time i know there's some people i can talk to and there's doors and they say things it's clearly something's happened I like the whole vibe of the world. Um, I could probably turn off the audio and put on some Black Sabbath and be completely happy playing that game. You know what I mean? Like, it really yeah. doesn't matter. Because the game and this, the, like, once you know the skills that you're playing with, once you kind of understand the rhythm of things, then it's really you on you. It's totally it. yeah. on the player. Yeah. And, and it I becomes don't... like a zone because you only are, you have the same mechanics all the time and each battle especially in Bloodborne and Dark Souls, plays out almost the same. It's like a chess-like uh-huh. match where yeah. I'll attack you, dodge, and then I'll wait, watch your animations, and I'll piece together informations about how you move and how your animations work and how your wind-ups are. Then I'll attack. And it's like there's almost this dance to every battle in Bloodborne, which is yeah. incredible. And then, of course, the tension of losing your echoes at any moment mm. or not making it back to whatever the home base land is or whatever to teleport myself back to get stiff yeah in the shot i forget the name of the but whatever like yeah no that game is um again on a desert island infinite playable it, funny enough like I've, I've just been thinking about that's one of those games that i could easily right now given the time i have i could probably whittle away days or weeks like i could best probably locking myself game, in yeah it's got such a good flow to it too like you're saying like the like when we again as as developers we're trying to build a sense of reality both with our story and our mechanics and mainly the mechanics that engage the player so that they can get into a flow state so that they are 100 percent understanding the language of the world the language of the mechanics the risk reward involved with every move and if they feel like the onus is on them when they make a mistake and that i have to come back and learn from it and go like shit i tried to use the dual wielding weapon with a big ranged attack thing with against that like okay i won't do that this time and you have a different approach and that game allows for all the difference of approaches and opportunities to learn and grow your skill set but yeah that's it's really a miraculously designed game it is a fantastic game and i think um it goes back to obviously it's a type of game that does have a story to it but it's more about the experiences you have not not emergently because it's not that type of game but because everything is perfectly crafted enemies are placed in certain specific areas but the way the mechanics work it you almost feel like that every little bit is a story like everyone has a oh i was in 
this part of the, uh, this area in Bloodborne and I just couldn't get past this one guy so I like changed my weapon I upgraded this and I spent like two hours watching him and like studying his pants <laughs> and everyone has like a little story about like how yeah. they got past certain areas and everyone had like difficulty in different areas like I couldn't yeah. defeat this bus for ages oh that bus was easy for me and it's like yeah. everyone has like this back and forth about it and it's not meant to be that type of game it's not meant to be like a Skyrim game where it, it has these just random occurrences that happen it's it's like oh I was just surprised that this guy just appeared out of nowhere but he, he was perfectly crafted to be there and he's going to be there every time I go there now um, it's very I don't know how to say perfectly crafted. Like it is that Japanese way of we are giving you the experience. We're not going to allow you to experience a different, like in a lot of Western games where it's like, well, you, you make the ultimate experience game, don't you? You know, in in Uncharted and Japanese development is very much like that. Like we are the designers and we will give you the experience. And this is how we're going to do it. And in between that, if you make a game like Bloodborne, which harks on a little bit about Western ideology in terms of giving players the mechanics to experience their own things, well, that's why it stands out as one of the highlights of this generation. Yeah, I think I think if you could give me those mechanics in Skyrim, I would have like the perfect game. You know what you I mean? You would have like, the best if, game ever, right? <laughs> yeah, if you could, if you could couple the melee system and and the, the, the yeah, dude, give me a break. I mean, nobody would leave their house. No <laughs> video game or like we'd all our heads would explode because those two games together. Because Skyrim, let's face it, doesn't have the most combat robust shit. melee <laughs> or any like any it. of the combat systems. Quite honestly. And it's really the suspension of disbelief that I'm on this adventure and getting to like build my own character and have my own it's, sort of it, like way with the world. But Bloodborne, people have fun playing D and D. There's no combat, you know, but it's about the the experience, right? And Skyrim's yeah. the same. The combat is a means to the end. Right. It's not great. It's, yeah. it's like you waft the sword in front of you, like a like a D and D character kind of thing. It, it, that's not what it's about. Whereas with Bloodborne, it's about the combat. It's about defeating these enemies in this specific world that you're experiencing and. Yeah, if you could combine the two, oh my god, yeah. And I think they did Shit. something which we tried to do with The Last of Us, which is coming from Uncharted, we kind of have this problem, which is Nathan Drake, a modern-day treasure hunter, um, kind of a realistic grounded character. We gave him kind of super abilities, like, you know, he can make these epic jumps and his arms don't rip out of his shoulder sockets. Or, the dude you know, is like, fucking Superman. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and <laughs> you know, his hair, not a, not a follicles out of place. You know, all the things that have been said about Uncharted are true, but quite honestly, the mechanics, and this isn't ripping on Uncharted or Naughty Dog, is one of those things that at the time we created the franchise, we thought we were doing a service. We thought it was like a really amazing thing by doing things like we could test jump distances and sort of give the, the the jump that was necessary to complete that jump and we could make it look super epic but it wasn't on the player to either like old school games platformers was like you could tap the button or you could hold the button or you could double jump the yeah. button and get different results it but was it's on the player. he will do it automatically and that was a conscious choice but as like you know we as an industry our choices are 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 our tastes have changed and other games have come out and Bloodborne is kind of in the same ilk of the type of game that The Last of Us was, which is like, how can we create a world that affords a type of mechanic or a set of core mechanics, a suite, uh, like a, the core loop of like, you know, 
the adventure tied with the scavenging tied with the crafting that ties into the 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 combat of yeah of the last of us is a conscious decision based on like a, a conscious decision that that world choosing that type of survival world allowed for those mechanics so we're and that's i think bloodborne did the same thing they created a world that allowed for a dude who's undead vampire whatever he is to die and be resurrected and come back into the world and get these echoes that allows him to then purchase more SP, which Hmm. it's all kind of tied into the lore. Yeah. And I think that's one of those genius things about like video game development on that level is like they made really amazing, robust, rich mechanics and they created a world to support it that doesn't feel overtly gamey. Like there's yeah. games where you like you're saying the mechanic in Gears of War, like there's no rhyme or reason for it, but it, you just kind of it just kind you of just, happens. It's there, right? Yeah, and it's, it's like reading a book, isn't it? It's like why can this die and come back? This guy die and come back alive? Well, it makes sense because I'm reading a book, and the world fits that and supports that. It's the same with the movie. Yeah, if you set and it up that he can do that, then fine. And then exactly, if you tie right? a mechanic to it, which is like now I come back. And I have to get the echoes that I like the shit that I already had and that that was valuable to me, and I have to get it back. Like, even better. Like, <laughs> I love I love the choices they made, both in story, world building, and the mechanics and how they all tie together. I think that they did an astounding job with that. It's a very special game. But speaking of replayable games, because we still have quite like I could talk about the next three after. The final three are games I could talk about forever, and I think two of them are very going to be very interesting, especially one of them, because I think you might have had something to do with it. Um, but before that, we're going to talk about a very replayable game. It's a game I actually have never played, but I've heard so much about. It was a little before my time. So let's listen to some sort of sound or music from this next game, and let's, of course, dive straight into it. best sound, by the way. Best sound. Okay. Best sound in game history is about to come at, your, <laughs> at you right now. I hope I don't fuck it up. Jumping into the next game, and of course we are talking about replayable games with Bruce here. There's a lot of strategy in about how we can take the deserted place situation. You know, we're going to be stuck on Libertaria for a long time. We're going to enjoy the beautiful weather and the beautiful water, but, you know, we've got to pass some time with some video games, and we don't want to be stuck after four years or so, you know, bored. So we're looking at games that we can spend a lot of time with, games like Bloodborne, where there are multiple avenues and multiple plays we can approach it. But there truly are just games out there that were all about replayability, just continually sticking quarters in an arcade machine and just playing again and again and again. 
And this next one is one of the most famous arcade machines of all time. It released back in 1981, two years before Donkey Kong was ever released. It was developed by Williams Electronics and um, published, I think, by Taito here in Japan. And it became really popular here in Japan, too. And it sold, I think, like 55,000 units, which at the time was just like a, a massive amount of uh, units. It is, of course, Defender, the sort of yes. scrolling shooter. Yeah. Okay, Bruce. <laughs> So, okay. You're going to have to take of, the reins here. I'm a child of the 70s. You know, I grew up in arcades. Arcades were just havens. Like, if you went to the 7 Eleven, which was like a new thing, we had like the Magic Market. The Magic Market was full of like stoners, a, a, an aisle full of sugar, and arcade games. And it was heaven. And you would go, you like, you'd recycle bottles from some Mountain Dews or Mr. Pibbs or something that you like drank like the week before. You'd get 60 cents from it. And then you take that 60 cents and buy sugar and then you like play a video game and you had to make the game last as long as you could because they were quarter munchers. They were designed specifically to like chew the quarters out of like, <laughs> the pants of your pocket or your pockets of your pants. And um, this game, I mean, there were a lot of games on the list, like trying to think of like arcade. If I was running one arcade game, like, you know, Defender, Galaga, uh, Stargate, the what came after Defender, uh, Zaxxon, uh, Miss Pac-Man, Pac-Man, um, all the classics, Tempest. Like, I grew up in that era. Like, Karate Champ was amazing. I remember it was in the 7-Eleven around the block. By the way, there was a point where, like, there were woods behind in, like, the suburbs of my neighborhood that all, like, the teenage stoner kids used to, like, go get high and make out in. They'd get their, like, muscle cars <laughs> and, like, do donuts in the dirt. And I was just like, I was too young to hang out with them, but I was like, oh my God, I can't wait till I'm old enough that I can like hang out with like the the cool kids. The cool kids, yeah. And then they, they, they're they in came the bulldozers and they took down the trees and they took down like the whole woods and the kids didn't have a place to hang out. And I was like livid. I was so upset. But what they replaced the trees with was a 7-Eleven. And at first we were like boycott it. We're like, fuck that place. Like this sucks. You're going to take our woods away from it. Like our right, our We're privilege. Take our woods and our weed. <laughs> our girls, like everything that was like promised to us for teenagers, like is gone. And then we, re we discovered that they had like an arcade room and they had like always had like, and they'd cycle through like three or four different machines all the time. It was like the first time I played Donkey Kong. Holy shit. The first time you played Donkey Kong and then the first time you get to the elevators level and like everybody's gathered around you going like, dude, he's on elevators. Like nobody's been to that board before. Like these are momentous moments in the neighborhood. Like, like people are talking about a fight that happened at Karate Champ or track and field came in and you know, like track and field was like a, because it was competitive. The idea of playing against people like Karate Champ is also something new. Anyway, Defender was one of those games that like the sounds just the look of it it was the first side scroller i believe ever created like the fact that the 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 screen scrolled and gave yeah. you more of a world was kind of like amazing yeah as a designer just talking about the core premise of saving the humans so you have like there's basically like humans on some sort of like um space planet i don't know mars or somewhere and they're down in the mountains at the base of the screen and um, you can shoot them at any time, but you don't want to because they're a valuable resource. They are what you want to keep alive, and you get points for saving them in each board. But then in come these waves of different style ships of all different types of aggressiveness. Um, and some of them are designed specifically to drop onto the board, 
drift down, grab a human, and take them off the top of the board. And in a scrolling world, you had this, this is the first time they had a mini-map, and you could kind of see like a little pixel that indicated, oh, there's one of those Martians that's coming down to get the humans, and I have to save the humans. So yeah. you're zipping across, passing through other like battles or potential battles to get there to save the humans. Once you kill the Martians, since you haven't played it, the humans drop down, like the gravity drifts them down, and if they land on the Earth, on the planet, rather Mars or whatever, they blow up. You, you didn't save them. So then you have this next mechanic of trying to catch the falling human while under duress, while being attacked by other ships. It's the hardest fucking game like ever created. <laughs> and I figured for a little while Galaga was it was like a, a real fight between Galaga and Defender. And Galaga is one of those games that I could play for hours and hours and hours and not die. And I love Galaga. But when it came down to it, the sounds of Defender. It's like when I was a kid driving passenger, like like riding passenger in my brother's like hot rod with his mag tires, listening to Iron Maiden or Scorpions, like fucking fully cranked up it's like that and defender and sugar it was my whole early teenage years and <laughs> i would die so quick in defender and i would just throw more quarters in there just to try to get to the next board and the only reason why it's on this list and not galaga is because if i have infinite time while stranded on this island maybe i'll eventually learn how to play defender <laughs> exactly and, the, and at the same time those sounds can just give you like let those memories just awash over you while you're dying repeatedly i mean they i think the audio chip it's like you know the guy who made it um i, I love hearing the they're all like electric engineers and people who like didn't know anything about games or the games industry and they just kind of have ideas and they tool around with them and they make they just stumble on these amazing ideas and uh, out comes Defender or Pac-Man or something or Gauntlet and um and this guy something Jarvis Eugene Jarvis or something like that I forget his name but um uh I I think that there's not enough like the, there's not enough bandwidth on the audio chip in the thing to handle like two sounds playing simultaneously so every time you shoot one of your lasers and if you hit an enemy the sound of the hit has to override the laser sound, so you're constantly cutting out the laser sound, but it has this... <laughs> exactly. Things are just clipping. Everything's clipping all the time, and I, I love it. I love <laughs> that sound. It's just nostalgia, 100% <laughs> nostalgia. Reminds me of my youth. I remember, well, like, you know, days in how hot Florida, disgusting, humid. It's, like, wet, hot horrible insects surrounding you like Ugh, palmetto bugs like, like flying off with that. like yeah totally flying off with babies and then you walk up to an arcade and they would have the tinted glass so you couldn't see inside and then there's something magical that happens that when you touch the door you open the door and the sound of every arcade machine at once just bombards your senses and to be like you know 11 years old and it's air conditioned inside, and then you have like oh, a like just heaven, you know, like a couple dollars worth of quarters, and you have to make it. Like everything was like you're talking about Bloodborne and the risk reward in Bloodborne. Like every game was that in the every arcade. Game was every Bloodborne. game had that sense of risk <laughs> it reward cost because money. if you did one dumb false move, yeah, that was it. <laughs> Can you imagine if you had to put quarters in every time you played Bloodborne? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we will allow you to take an, the arcade machine itself, and you can have unlimited quarters to keep putting into it. Cool. So, well, we could put it like uh, on like so a, one of the abandoned ships or something, and you know, a cave. I want to go into a cave, like behind a waterfall or something, and then find inside. There's just one lone machine with the glow casting all the rocks and the wet of the inside of the cave, and just fucking play Defender all day long. There you go. That's how we'll set it up. That it'll be absolutely perfect. So you can awesome. take that. And alongside By the way, that, I just got so excited taking... about being on this island now. Like that was the first time that I'm just like, I can't wait to be on this island. Yeah, fuck yeah, it's <laughs> gonna, gonna be great Defender all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it does happen. Like a lot of guests, they're like, ah, you know, yeah. And then by the end, they're like, fuck, I'm just gonna chill on an island and play video games. It's gonna be fucking great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty, pretty choice. <laughs> well, I mean. Even personally, I think, given any island, I mean, I've just flown to the UK and come back, and the whole time I've been playing my Nintendo Switch, that thing, for travel, and in, just in general, is a beauty. It's a, it's my highlight of this year, and it's uh, the first year for games consoles is always a difficult time, you know, especially if a company doesn't have the greatest of first party so it can be a little rough going when you're an early adopter of a brand new console but for some reason the nintendo switch has taken a lot from what the wii u didn't get and has had one of the best first years of any console i think in recent memory or in the history of video games and specifically one of those reasons is the next game on our list and a game that i can't wait to listen to the music for again because it's just beautiful so let's listen to some fantastic music from this next game and let's of course dive straight into it Of course this game is on this list. <laughs> it's just fantastic. I I don't get tired of speaking about this game. It's It's been a, a few months. It's only been a few months since it released. It's not even been out a year. And it's just... I was talking about it last night. I, I A friend of mine bought a Switch in uh, late November. He had Mario Odyssey. He didn't have Breath of the Wild, which is the game we're talking about. Spoilers. Uh, he didn't have that yet. And I went away to the UK, and I hadn't seen him for like four weeks. I came back, and we went for sushi last night. And he's like, oh, I bought Breath of the Wild, by the way. I was like, oh, fantastic. How, how, how are you doing? He's like, I've only beat two beasts. I was like, oh, great. But he was like, oh, but I've played 105 hours of it. 
<laughs> and I was like, yes, this game will do that to you. This game is one of, it's won so many Game of the Year awards. It's one of the highest rated games of all time. It's created by the talented team at Nintendo EPD and directed by Hidemaru Fujibayashi uh, under the watchful eye of the wonderful Aonuma-san. It released on March 3rd of 2017. It is, of course, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Bruce. Okay. So, let's take the hype down just a little bit. On okay. Breath of the Wild. I, thought, I thought you might. I thought you might. Okay. Well, let me, let me say that also it almost wasn't on my list. And the ah. con- the contending game that it beat out was there were a soccer game. There's two soccer games, either the N64, like FIFA World Cup, I think it was like 98. Or... Oh, World Cup 98 is one of the best sports games ever made. I'm right. I know. I know. I mean, the reason I mean, I why I game. followed the Dutch to this day is because that was the team I played and won the World Cup with in World Cup 98. So I love that game. That game almost beat out Breath of the Wild. And then it was this other debate weird. about like the South Africa one in 2020, 2010. Also, FIFA, also like, the, the, the deals, the, not the DLC one, the, the like standalone yeah. World Cup World one Cup, that yep. came alongside the FIFA. That with was the also great. With the Boovazellas yeah. calling out the whole Holy thing. Holy shit, you like, got good taste in soccer. You got good taste in soccer games. I, you know, if there's a good soccer game, I'll get, I, that's the only sports game I'll play. And again, it's about the skills. Like This is the thing. Like the soccer games are like, I, I, re, I know that I could play that game infinitely on a deserted island. So why did I choose Breath of the Wild over a soccer game? And I'm still debating that right this second, quite honestly. But let's talk about <laughs> because, Breath of the Wild because I mean, let's I just Skyrim. touch on the soccer game. Let's touch this on this. You can play soccer games forever, and for me, yeah, they're right. my guilty pleasure. I love soccer, football. I hate yeah, saying soccer, yeah. but I have to do it. Yeah, I love it. So I would play them to death forever. Yeah. No, I, and and that's the thing. That's kind of like one of my go-to's. I even played the. There's the Mario Brothers like Smash. Smash Bros. Yeah. Soccer or something like Superstar, that? Superstar, the the Super yeah. Mario All-Star Soccer, whatever it's called. Uh, Super GameCube, right? Yep. The GameCube yeah. and the Wii one as well, yeah. Dude, that game was awesome. And you can like get yes. combos and light the ball on fire and do all sorts of things. Fuck yeah. Shit. Like, that's such a good game. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I I really like... That's the only sports game I can play. And um, it has such depth and there's so much to learn. And of course, then you can always like switch modes and then you can switch stadiums. And then you can play different teams. and play, Yeah, it's... But Breath of the Wild, it's... I'm kind of... There's this thing, like I picked Skyrim and I was debating like, well, it's kind of Skyrim-esque. But here's the thing. Skyrim, I feel like you, you really get something out of Skyrim by dedicating yourself to the tasks of like finding missions going on quests, going and find, like, you, you can, you can kind of, like, discover your own path and do your own thing, but Skyrim kind of, like, y- you exploit the systems by indulging in these, you know, side quests and, and talking to people and getting to know them, and it fulfill it fills out the world more. Yeah. Zelda, though, Breath of the Wild, I mean, like you said, like, I, I don't have to do anything with the story, and I'm just kind of, I find myself dicking around in that world, and just passing time, and I don't mind. Like, usually I'm a pretty aggressive, like, what am I doing? What's my goal? Why am I here? I give me the goal. Like, where's the design? I need to, like, be on a mission to be doing something. But there's something relaxing about being in the world of Breath of the Wild that I can just kind of, like, oh, I found a fairy princess who wants some um, 
some some stuff for me to give me like a power bump. Like, oh sure, like that's oh she's cool. Like you know that's neat. La, 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 and I go over some other ridge and I find a little you know one of those little seed pod things. That, here's the problem. I'm not a Nintendo guy. I'm not a Zelda. Like I like the original Zeldas. Like they had more tension. That's the other problem okay. I have with Breath of the Wild. I wish that it had more consequence. And I wonder if I should be playing on a different difficulty mode because I'm just on whatever. I don't even know if it has a difficulty mode, but played with whatever the default was. But it's just such a pleasure to just meander in that world. It just kind of, you know, I've I've done a couple beasts. They're the dungeons in that game. It's like I they're awesome. I think they're the best dungeons. I think again back to this kind of theme that runs throughout all these games is like the core mechanics are like solid as shit there's no like weird one-off anything like all the mechanics that you learn you've exploited in the shrines or out in the world and uh yeah it's just a fun game to whittle away hundreds of hours and not feel like i whittled away anything i don't know why where soccer feels like i would get let down because i would i would feel like i'd have a mission to accomplish i think i would get frustrated and there was something about Breath of the Wild that was just like, no, man, just chill out, bro. You're on an island. You just need to, like, just kind of see what's over in this, some other, like, world in Zelda and, like, discover some new land and cook some <laughs> cook some uh, heat-resistant. Find the peace. Yeah, heat-resistant, heat like, insects and, like, go to the cold, you know, go to the desert or go where, like, yeah, man, just go check it out. I'm kind of a hippie in that game, quite honestly. I become a hippie in that game. <laughs> I, why do you? Why? I mean, I have not read any reviews. I know that some people are just fanatical about it, but what is it that draws you to that game so strongly? I don't know whether it's specifically. I get why there is the hype, and I get there is people who've grown up with Nintendo and they've played the Zelda formula, like the Ocarina of Time, the Majora's Master. The Twilight Princess. That is the. They haven't played the Zelda games. They played the Zelda formula to right. get the item in the dungeon, complete the uh, that dungeon, never Utilize use that item that, again. That item the next from the yeah right, right, and then Breath of the Wild came out, and I think Breath of the Wild is one of the only games, especially after watching, uh, Fujibayashi-san's GDC talk where he talks about how they built Breath of the Wild, where they built a chemistry. It wasn't about making a core mechanic for Link to have. It was the way Link interacted chemistry-wise with the environment. So if he chopped down a tree, if he was the catalyst that chopped down a tree and the tree fell in the river, well, the river would carry the tree. Or if he set something on fire, well, there would be the chemistry reaction of, well, a tree would be on fire or the grass would be on fire. If it was in water, the fire wouldn't work. And there was something about... There are a lot of games like Skyrim that allow you to do quote-unquote anything. But I think Breath of the Wild was the first game I'd ever played at a game where the world was interactable to do anything. Right. Like, if I set it on fire, it would be on fire. If I set the water on ice, it would be on ice. Like, the... And the physics, going back to sort of the, the Half-Life thing with the physics... When you, like, attach the balloons to dumb shit in, like, Breath of the Wild, like the Octo skin stuff, and you can set things in the air, and you Uh can, like, make, like, hovering cars, and you can float over, like, you could, like, set it on a mountain, then you could use the leaf thing to, like, blow it out, 
and then you would could, yeah. you could run and jump onto it. So you would be floating in the air, and you could float above a, like a Bacoblin outpost, and they wouldn't see you because their line of sight is obviously to the ground level and that. They yeah, don't yeah. look above. Yeah. And you could float above them. Now you could pop your balloons and you could like the big piece of wood you could like the piece of wood would then fall from the sky land on them kill them you'd like break down and surprise them all you could then blow up all this it was like the experimentation in which the the world reacted to the player i'd not seen before and the world let yeah. alone is beautiful and the breath of the wild yeah, stands visually true. it's it's i think absolutely gorgeous the choices they yeah, made are great it feels like a, a nature it feels like real nature it feels like a real landscape almost not like a like a game landscape it feels like a, a breathable piece of nature like breath of the wild i think is an incredible title in it's so in its own because it really does speak true about what to expect from that game but just being able to fuck around with shit that infects the environment doesn't affect the enemies like a lot of games like metal gear solid 5 gave you so many tools to fuck around with the enemies, but not the world. You couldn't, like, destroy a wall. You couldn't just, like, dig a hole and, like, hide and wait or something. But it wasn't so much about how you killed enemies. It was more about, like, how you manipulated the environment of Breath of the Wild to just get different outcomes. Like, you could you could freeze rocks in time and then, like, you know, hit them with a yeah, hammer. Build up the inertia or whatever, yeah. And you could like jump on the rock when the time goes off, and you fly across the map. It's it's yeah, kinetic I just energy. Did... That was the word I was looking for. Yeah, so here's yeah. the thing. It's so I'm torn because I agree with everything that you're saying, and I yeah. as as a but there's something in my designer head that like wants to argue about. Yeah, you can do all that, but to what end? Like, do, like yes, if to what, the, what's if your the goal? Enemies, right? If there was more of a problem-solving element around it, and the enemies were like way more difficult, and the combat system back to like let's go back to Bloodborne. Like if there was more depth to the combat system, fuck breakable weapons, by the way. Oh my god. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. If in the hindsight, enemies I don't like that. had more, there was more tension involved with them. Then I would start looking for alternative paths to overcome the enemies. Like then suddenly chopping down a tree and sending it down the river, or you know, create an octo balloon to drop some grenade or something on them, or you know, like then suddenly those become alternative paths that I'm starting to like problem solve with. Yeah. But being that but, the enemies, the path of least, least resistance is like, well, I can just go up to them and like hit them with a sword. The sword's going to break anyway. I'm just going to find another sword. It's not that like big of a deal. So there's no real commitment to this. But again, I'm I'm critiquing it, but at the same time, there's something pleasurable. And the just kind of hanging out in that world. I've spent That's... hours upon hours upon hours, and it's on my list for a reason. Because That's the thing is, I, I think if you did that, and you had that end goal, you had to problem solve, you would, in, you would put tension into a game that it wouldn't fit well. You wouldn't like the world as much as we do, because it would feel scary. And Maybe. you wouldn't be able to have that relaxing time yeah. and i think that's important i think i think breath of the wild is more like minecraft uh -huh. in the sense that you just fuck around in this kind of peaceful right. world yeah you right, can right. set it to story mode and, it's you know, not about the potential. goals and the... but it's not about the goals it's about you can do the story you but you could be like my friend who's only done two beasts and he's nowhere near the end and he's played 105 hours of it and yeah it might not be the best adventure game like it's it's elder game so it's meant to be about adventure but if you look at just what 
you take away the Zelda title, you just look at what it is. You're like, well, this game is so peaceful. It's so beautiful. And you have all these fucking, like, these options to just fuck around. This game is, like, in its own a weird special element. It's huge. And it's huge and it's going to keep giving. And I know that there's, like, depth that I haven't even gotten to yet with it. I, I, I haven't opened up the whole map. You know, there's just a ton more to do. And it's going to be a pleasure to do it. Like, I'm not... Yeah. I'm not stressed But you're in no rush. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not stressed over it. And quite honestly, the shrines, I think, are just, like... If I had a game, like if some indie developer just decided to like say like, oh, let's just like do something like the shrines and just like tag them together, and you gave me a hundred an indie game of a hundred shrines, I would eat the fuck out of that game. That Best game indie would game be of the so year. good, like because those shrines are just so fun and they're just so like to the point and so specific. And they're piecemeal, and, right? And they yeah, and they're they're exactly you just like you bite off a little bit. There's some that are pretty complex in the problem solving or the thinking that um they they forced me to do and and, yeah. and it's engaging and i like it and i feel rewarded and but it uh, balances yeah. perfect it doesn't take you 10 hours to do one no which takes you out of the world and then when you which get is back like in the, the world, dungeons before there's times where i'm just like okay yeah. now where what room am i in how do i get back to the like, i haven't even like, got the compass yet where yeah. the fuck am i and that's kind of the genius of the beast and... now too because also like you can look out the like the camel one in the desert you're just like look you're just on it and it's riding in the world and you're just like are you fucking kidding me like i'm in this whole level in into itself just looking out in like the, the world the technology <laughs> that went into it and yeah, there's no doubt as a designer developer, like I'm in awe of the creation yeah. of that game. Um, so it's on my list for a reason. Again, it's okay. definitely on my list. I want it on my list because I know that I will continue to enjoy that game. <laughs> and and do you know again, what? Do you know what? Do you know ahead. what? Go ahead. Because we're going to have to move on to the next game. But yeah. I'm going to give you World Cup 98 as well because I love that game. Dude. I'm just going to slide it under that. I'm just going to slide. This okay, island is going to be the best island. You're going to want to visit me on this island, by the way. Dude, you're going to be so jealous. Dude, I'm coming to visit. Like, I'm booking be... my holiday right now. We can we're do multiplayer. We're going to fuck around in Zelda, and you're going to beat... Well, well, you're not very good at Defender, so you'll have to show me how to play it, but yeah. <laughs> All right. You're welcome to my island anytime, Liam. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I built it. Well, you built it, and I copied it, I think. How does that work? I do know. I take what you created, or did I copy? I don't know how. I don't know what the specific technical. You have the source masters. code, so you you okay. can do whatever you want with this island, really. Fuck yeah! Nice. I'm like a weird dungeon master dude. <laughs> um, but we're gonna move on to the next game, and there have been a few people, including Jake. Jake is uh, another one who is one of the only people to take their own game, uh. with them to a deserted island. And I think it's really interesting, and Jake's reasoning behind it was one of the best reasoning. I've ever heard. Uh, and it rings true. I think it completely... People are like, oh, he's taking his own game. Oh, how egotistical. <laughs> no, that's not what it's all about. Jake's reasoning for taking, you know, uh, Galaxy and uh, uh, Skulls of the Shogun was because he created a game that he always wanted to play. Like, he had a vision for a game that he always wanted to play, so he made it. So, of course, the game he made to him is the best game he ever made, because it was the game he wanted to play the most. Which I think is just, like, the most infallible reasoning ever. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm interested to know what you think about this next game. And let's listen to some wonderful music. Truly 
the soundtrack to this game is fantastic. And it gets me a little, it gives me a little chills. So let's listen to some music and let's move into the penultimate game, the second to last game. And let's, of course, dive straight into it. So I don't want to get you too emotional, because <laughs> I mean, you're going to an island you helped create. I mean, you're going to be playing World Cup 98, which is cool. Fuck yes. You're going to be, yeah, we'll give you that. Because, you know, we'll take Half-Life 1 away from you. You can take Half-Life 2, and then we'll sneakily say that, you know, World Cup 98 Maybe was the other Maybe I just found game. it in, like, Avery's treasure <gasps> chest somewhere. Some, like, yeah! random, like, that was crate. Avery's treasure the whole time. Yeah, dude. That's what he wanted. I- Dude, anyone wants World Cup 98. (laughs) (laughs) But the next game and the second to last game you're going to take with you is a game that needs no introduction. And I'm looking at my notes for it here. And it was developed by a company I think is called Naughty Dog and was published by Sony Computer Entertainment. It features directors Neil Druckmann and the wonderful Mr. Bruce Straley. And it released back in June of 2013. It's the action-adventure survival horror thriller that has won the world over the last of us i think you know a little bit more about this game than i do bruce uh, it's possible it's very possible <laughs> yeah um i'm kind of with jake and, and and there's other reasons maybe too again I, I really took the mission to heart man i thought about the desert island and i love the last of us i love what we as a team collectively did. I love what the statement is for me in my career and where, what I was trying to do with it and the collaboration with Neil and what we both were like committed to do with that game. I think other than the one thing that I wish we could patch, which is Ellie, Ellie walking in front of enemies. It truly is like, it's a great game. It's a great game. I just remembered our first ever conversation. And, uh, and I don't know. It brings back so many memories. It, it's it's just a nice thing. It's a nice keepsake in a way to have with me. It's like having a photo album of your family, and I get to um, relive your kind disgusting of... fungi-infested family. Oh man, those clickers are so good. Just the concept. See, the fun- the clickers aren't the clickers, and the bloaters aren't the bloaters. The bloaters are working with you know Mache on the concepts and. Uh, watching planet earth and talking to neil about the possibility of zombie ants and taking you know and and so when i look at that game the game is means so much more to me than ellie and joel's adventure it's yeah. it's uh it's an it's an era it's a it's a it's a bullet point in my career in my life kind of my philosophies that i feel um 
you know, is all over that game. Um, every single decision and every single moment in that game had to come down to conversations or big moments that, and we're trying to find what the hell the game is. When you're creating a game from scratch, you don't know what you're doing and you don't know if it's going to work and you don't know, you know, a tone. We had a tone in our head of what we were aiming for, but we didn't know what the mechanics were going to be. We didn't know it was going to have a crafting system in it at the beginning. So playing that game and seeing how everything worked out, like I just get to relive just Those how memories. beautiful that production and the fact that I, I get to walk away going like, cool, man, I'm proud of, I'm really proud of that game and I'm really proud of that era in my career. And um, I want to take it with me for as a keepsake. That sounds, that's beautiful. And there's really nothing much you can really say about it because everyone listening to this knows what it is. I think that's, the thing about final games we have like the zelda breath of the wild everyone knows about that and we have lots of other things but there are lots of other games that appear out of nowhere world cup 98 being one of them that you never expect kind of thing but how is it being not only like a game director because a game director puts you in a special weird bracket where you work for a company nine to five like a normal dude but for some reason millions of people know who you are you're not like you're like a weird celebrity within a weird world and it only works in the games industry for some reason like you know f movie directors are famous people right but there is this weird thing where i think maybe you can only really put it as like hideo like kojima um Mimoto. maybe like miyamoto-san and stuff like that right yeah i mean you and neil were definitely up there because of the last of us and stuff like that but how is it being like this kind of normal guy who goes to work and, you know, you are in control of these teams, but you still work for a company and you're still, you're still just doing your job. But in the back of, you've created one of the most influential and one of the most highly respected and most accoladed, most award-winning games of all time. Not only like putting your mark on the industry, but just like, completely for one stage of a whole generation because the last of us really defines the playstation 3 generation doesn't it it's the pinnacle of what it what you could do in that generation how is it like being that person to see all the people talking about it and even the negatives like the first conversation we had i was drunk and i openly admitted the last of us was not as good as uncharted 2 but <laughs> <laughs> that was me <laughs> you're uncharted 2 not on the list yeah, I'm fucking disappointed, man. <laughs> but how is it just, you know, dealing with the fact that there is this weight of responsibility, of course, but also to just have all these people love you because you made this thing that was your job? I, it's a, I, I, I don't know how to answer that because I don't think of, I don't think any, I guess celebrities think of themselves as celebrities sometimes, maybe. And some people oh, definitely... absolutely. They yeah. Definitely, there's people out there that, in any industry, that are looking for some fame or notoriety, and they're actually seeking that. And, they, and I think that if you're seeking that, and then most likely you've got some sort of hole in your soul that you're trying to fill with something other than what should be just sort of like inner peace or some contentment with who you actually are, what you believe in, or your values, or whatever the fuck I'm trying to put meaning on this weird question but i don't know it's like <laughs> i'm just a dude who shows up to work and i try to do the best i can exactly right and i don't i was at a pizza shop the other day and i was just getting a slice 
you know, they have a slice counter. They have like five different pies you can like choose from, and I and they'll just heat up a slice. So I was just real quick, just getting some on the go. And I sat down. I was eating my slice, and then two dudes came out from the back of the pizza shop, and I I had my head in a book, and I just noticed kind of the presence of. I look up, and it's guys yeah. who work there, and they they just said, "Hey, man, we just want to say like we love The Last of Us," and then they walked <laughs> off. And I and I didn't know like because like in the games industry we hide kind of behind the computers and hide behind yeah. like it's like I, we aren't a face or a presence that's necessarily like seen on the streets and and I was, yeah unless like you know Twitter but even then it's still this weird echo chamber where you think there's you know but that yeah you wouldn't recognize a lot of people yeah no, who work on your yeah. favorite games some, on the street yeah exactly some some of the most amazing developers you're just like who's that nerd like look at that gaggle of nerds crossing the street ha ha like <laughs> the little did you know that they made bloodborne or something you know like, yeah exactly right and, um yeah and i and now i feel weird going to that pizza shop i kind of like it I don't want to go back to that pizza shop. It makes me uncomfortable because now I just want to eat pizza. And I know that two dudes are back there going like, did he order? Like, what pizza did he order? Like, should we tweet out that he's like eating? I don't know. It's just all in my head. But oh, Bruce like Traley's it. favorite pizza is pepperoni. Oh. <laughs> I don't like it. And um, I think that's maybe why video games make sense to me is because like, you know, it's not, it doesn't, it's, it, I guess I made a conscious choice when I took on game directing in Uncharted 2, that everything that I was going to do was kind of in service for the team and for the, for the idea. And I don't know, it's just Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And I have accounts on Twitter and I have an Instagram account, but it's like, it's such a weird concept and it never makes me feel good about like after sending a tweet to go back in on check on how the tweet's doing that concept is just wrong like everything about that concept is just vile as a human here we are on the planet it's just like what am i getting it means like i'm getting something like that i'm not getting in life by trying to get it from sending this tweet out and so for me it's like i, I think of it in a weird perspective like if you tweet something, like if you tweeted that you were eating pizza and guys came up to you and said they loved The Last of Us, I think you'd get a lot of likes for that on Twitter, right? You'd get like 400, 500. But if you put it in terms of, imagine if you had 400 or 500 pats on the back. Right, 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 right. That would be super fucking weird. It would be super weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things, by the way. There's nothing wrong with Twitter. There's nothing wrong with social media. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. It's just my relationship with it is that I want to dedicate myself to something other than that. And maybe it's as simple as that, where my priorities are is just trying to make the best game. And it goes back to the beginning of our conversation with, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I'm a, maybe slightly insecure about my work. So I like work extra hard to make it something good and then I can find value in it. I like that I'm not dedicating myself to me, but dedicating my, myself and my work to somebody else. Yeah. And by the way, I get infuriated at work when somebody doesn't do a job that I think that should be better. And I get live and I don't have the greatest temper all the time. You could talk to any naughty dog. He's just like, yeah, Bruce isn't a fucking saint, man. That guy. <laughs> he got angry. Yeah. He, yeah. No, it's not. It's and so, but that's kind of the joy of doing what I get to do is like, I get to check myself. It's like this huge mirror showing up to work every day and going like, Oh, what kind of character do you want to be today? Like, do you want to be a, a humble, benevolent, kind leader, or do you want to be a 
dictated douchebag asshole that's gonna you know get down somebody's throat to like and it's a choice and i get to face those things and I hopefully grow as a human because of it so it works works not work for me work is kind of a this is so lame this is the worst fucking thing i could ever say but work is kind of like a spiritual endeavor for me i enjoy the fact that i get to work on being a better human by collaborating with people that's what i enjoy yeah and the last of us is like ups and downs with the last of us neil and i definitely like butted heads a bunch in there and then we also hugged it out like he's like i've never worked with a better collaborator or somebody that I'm more inspired by than that guy. And, and it's sad in a way to like leave that place and leave these people because, um, I know that I'll never work with somebody like that again. Like, like, I mean, who knows? It's, there's not, a, there's not a never well, here, but we haven't worked together yet. There you I go, mean... Liam. <laughs> there's, there's, but there's a sense of like when you find somebody who actually gets your taste or gets and you can, yeah. can kind of finish each other's sentences or in brainstorms you know why they veered off onto some sort of tangent topic because like oh they're not off topic and kind of like wasting brainstorm time they're trying to solve the problem in a different angle and without saying a word we're both then brainstorming this other thing to solve like there was just this kind of chemistry we had which is I don't, I've worked with other people now, especially after leaving Naughty Dog, I've done some stuff and it's, it's hard to find those sensibilities in people and that kind yeah. of relationship. And, and, um, we did great things and that's why the last of us is on my list. I think, uh, I'm, I'm super proud of it and I'm, I want to just remember like, you know, the good, the good old days, <laughs> the good old days, the good times, the good times. Well, you can take it with you and I would never ever want to tear those memories from you Thanks, so buddy. we'll we'll let you take that um and i think it's always nice to hear in a different context because uh, game directors game producers game developers get interviewed so many times over a period of marketing and publishing a game you say what the game's about like what it is but there's never there's very little time unless you're a huge studio and you get like a documentary or something to reflect and look back and explain like how the experience was. And I think one of the things I get the joy out of Vital Games is because if you take your own game, you're taking it for the sense that you know you're going to be playing it. So it comes from, oh, yeah, there are other elements to it. Like, oh, I remember, like, you'll be playing through it on the island. You'll be like, oh, I remember when we fucking put that dog there because someone in the studio brought a dog in that day. And it, we, we thought, oh, that would be amazing. Why don't we, like, put a dog in the game in this area? And, like, it runs, like, those memories just being triggered by playing your own game, I think is really, really quite special. So cool. we'll allow you to take that with you. Thanks, but we're going to move on to the last game now, the final game on your list, Bruce. And then we're going to send you away to this this perfect island in which we've crafted. I feel bad for all my other guests, but um, we're at this perfect island. And uh, it's very I sad. I could still maybe switch one out for like some dating simulator. I'm still thinking about that. <laughs> well, it's funny because when I was back in the UK, I didn't get to play too many games. But for some reason, me and my friends replayed this game in one day just oh. for the hell of it with a few beers. We played all the way through it from start to finish. And it was, it reminded me just how influential and why this game was so special at the time. So let's listen to some very sort of interesting music. It's not a series known for its uh, incredible music. <laughs> but let's listen to some music and let's jump into Bruce's final game. 
So jumping into the final game on Bruce's list before we send him away. And it is a game I played all the way through from start to finish, literally two weeks ago. Um, and it's featured a few times on Final Games before. Which it, console back, did you play it on? Oh, uh, well, we played the PC HD release, but I okay. agreed the GameCube version is the best version. Yeah, for sure. That's the one I want to sure. take with me, by the way. I'm taking GameCube. You can take the GameCube one. We set it up so we it, like it had the GameCube elemented controls on the oh, good. Xbox yeah, 360, good. Uh, 360 pad, but... But it did look very nice in HD, I will admit. Um, but it is a game that got released originally for the GameCube. It wasn't exclusive for the GameCube for, uh, I think it was a year or maybe six months. And then the PlayStation 2 version came out. But the GameCube version s- somehow was vastly superior over the PlayStation 2 version. But it, since then, it's been released on the Wii, the PlayStation 3, the Xbox 360, the PlayStation 4. It's been released on mobiles. It's been released on PC and HD. Um... I wouldn't be surprised if there's a Switch version for it at some point, but it was released by Capcom and directed by just the master of horror, survival horror, Shinji Mikami. And it almost reinvented third-person shooters as well and spawned this legacy that came along with like Gears of War and other games that came after it, the over-the-shoulder gun gameplay. This is, of course, known in Japan as Biohazard 4. It is Resident Evil 4. Yeah. Bruce. Resident Evil. Are we swapping it out for Love Live, or are we sticking with Resident Evil 4? We'll stick with RE4, man. We'll stick with it. Okay. Let's do this. Let's do this. And, you know, because I also have Ashley there. Maybe there's another girl. So, yeah, whatever. Oh, Resident come on, Star. though. Do we really want Ashley to be, like, uh, <laughs> one of our only girls on the islands? I She's... remember I accidentally, I did not intend this at all. This is, I'm not this kind of, like, game perv, but she was going up a ladder, and I was going up the ladder following her, and somehow... She saw, or somehow the camera yeah. moved in such a way that I was looking up her skirt. And she freaked out, yeah? And she slapped me or something? or Yeah, she freaked out. She she called me a pervert and like accused me of like looking up skirt. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I didn't Japan. mean it. Like, I really didn't mean it. I wanted like some sort of like, I didn't do it button. Like, <laughs> so offended. Like, <laughs> but they scared. know, like, they know in Japan, for some reason, Japanese players would have done that. So that's why it was implemented. Yeah, totally. <laughs> But to be fair... Uh, and, but here, here's the thing. They also rendered panties under a skirt and gave her a short skirt, so clearly they also made a choice to allow it. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was definitely a choice. A Japanese choice. It's a very Japanese But choice. if we're talking about girls, we can we can leave Ashley because she's useless. But, you know, you've got Ada Wong and you've got Huntingham on the phone. Yeah. They're pretty damn cool girls. So. Yeah. No, we're good. We're good. We don't need a RE4 for women. We also have Ellie, who's a badass. We have Alex, the love of my life. That's true, so we're, yeah. We're all right. And Alex and I will play Defender. I'll leave Half-Life running with Alex like in an idle mode while playing Defender and talk to her like she's like my girlfriend. <laughs> like I'm showing her. Now like we're getting into creeping island insanity now. <laughs> we want to save that off for a while. By the way, that's going to happen in the first week. So, <laughs> uh, No, Resident Evil 4 is cl- I'm, everything you said. It's, it's one of the most influential games. I mean, we ripped off the 180 turn from RE4 and The Last of Us. Um, Basically, The Last of Us is Eco and Resident Evil 4 mashed together. You know, the concept of escorting the girl is Ellie and the Eco Yorda and the, the basic controls and the infected. And the clickers of the one-hit kill are basically the chainsaw guys from RE4. Um, you know, and it just goes to show, like, 
you can borrow anything from any game, and if you reskin it properly, like nobody's gonna go like, "Oh, dude, that's a total ripoff." Like, it's inspiration. That game, and you know, it, um, first time I got my head lopped off was one of those moments in video game history for me, where I, you know, I dropped the controller and my jaw was agape. I'm looking at the TV, going like, "What the fuck?" Like it was one of those <laughs> moments. What just will, happened? I will never forget. Like, they did that in a game. And I've never seen that in a game before. Like, yeah, I played Doom, Wolfenstein, whatever. It's just like you have things going to bits, but it's like, this was different. This was like personal. This was my hero's head getting lopped off, man. And it meant business. I mean, there were the mechanics, the even though at the time, now we look at them as like tank controls and they're, you know, but... I st it's still a total playable game. The skill of like using oh, up the, la the laser for the the shooting mechanic is like genius for not for not having like a a click in aim mode like a state of um, uh, the over the shoulder cameras that Gears and Uncharted and Blast all these shooters now are known for. Um, it was an ingenious way of creating skill within the shooting mechanic. It was yeah. the first time seeing like. Um, scanned textures in the art style and the fact that they chose this like monochromatic kind of you know sepia toned grays and darks and and it had the, all the leaves were actual photo reference textures like applied to the world but they were played applied artfully everything was very readable yeah uh, just the tone of the world um just in the Spanish, I never, you know, it's not Spanish to me. I just feel like it's like demon language. Like it doesn't matter. Whatever the, you know, Rosalvero. that language just creeps me the fuck out. Like if anybody in Spanish <laughs> would just talk to me and say those same words, I would kind of like want to shoot him in the head and do a roundhouse kick or something. Like it's, it's just suplex. so ingrained that it's just like horror. <laughs> it's it's such a beautiful game, and it goes on forever. It's a really long game. Um, it took us. When I was younger, I completed it quite a few times. I think I got my time down to like three hours. I could finish it. And that wow. was like speed running the shit out of it with the TMP. But we were playing through it for fully grown adults who've played that game multiple times. Wrestling with the controls being what they were compared to what they inspired later, like in games like The Last of Us. We were right. like, oh shit, we have to sort of think about this a little more. I think it took us 13 or 14 hours yeah, in one day. Yeah, that makes sense. Totally makes sense. Yeah, the ringing the bell, wrong. just the opening scene of coming upon that first village, the setups like the the cops that leave me abandoned, and and then you go into the house, and there's a one dude that comes with you with a pitchfork, and just yeah. everything about it, the squawk of the radio when it comes in, kind of creeps me out a little bit. <laughs> it is weirdly not scary, just unsettling. It is unsettling, except it it's, has this. The, one of the best scary moments, though, in is this tension moment. I guess it wasn't scary so much as it had a good sense of tension and one of them mm. was um when you're inside of the lab like i don't know you're maybe two-thirds of the way through the game or so i don't remember but uh and you have a scope that you can apply on your rifle that'll allow you to see like the the heat the, the infrared yeah. sort of reading of yeah. like these monsters that are coming these creations in the lab that you have to shoot the parasites out of them and yeah, like otherwise sometimes they won't two die. Or three yeah, and and there's a so there's a skill thing, and it's just like perfect 
it's like, like when you break it down in design, it's just like, oh, it's a timing puzzle. You have a timing and a consequence, and here comes the timer. And there's this, but the timer is this fucking creature, and you have to go into this other state to shoot these, to search for these parasites, shoot the parasites with precision yep. to then defeat the mo- like. And that's on top such of that, a good fucking design for a creature and a setup. And you're locked. And on in top these- of that, they vibrate. They vibrate right. like they jutter. So like when you're aiming. They'll like slowly move towards you. Then they'll vibrate and it'll put you off and you'll you'll have to take out the you'll have to go away from the scope, look at them, move back, and then you'll have to get back into it. Dude, just that design alone, and again, this is back to the thread of this whole conversation. It's like it's all core mechanics. It's just like an enemy design that somebody just came up with an ingenious thing that's just like, oh, what if he just kept coming at you in one state, but you had to go to switch to this other state and kill his very precision precision aiming sort of thing? It's a shooter. Yeah. I don't know. That game is just fucking genius. Um, what was it? The big troll at the beginning that that's all in core mechanics. You're going in and out of the sheds that it's like you can do it in kind of any order. So it made me, this is the first time I really felt like, oh, it's not a scripted, it's not like your standard boss fight. You know, yeah. it, and, and the fact that it wasn't actually a boss fight, it was just a creature in the world. And the, the the boss the in the you're in the boat and that big fucking weird oh the like gear, gear monster thing that lived yeah, under the, the water fishy yeah. dragon thing whatever it's yeah. just so they're these, but they're not said I guess the only boss fight was the I forget his name but the guy in the leather jacket that goes into the burning building oh and then and he, he like he's like starts him stretching out, out like, like a thing centipede. or something like like John Carpenter's the thing and you're on the second <laughs> floor and his head is like whipping at you and the whole building it's weird because flame. going back to the tension thing. It created this a lot of tension, and it was unsettling because the enemies they they were they were humans, but they were like like everyone's afraid of murderers, and they were like the personification of like a murderer, like a scary farmer old guy murdering you at a pitchfork. It's kind of terrifying and unsettling in a way, but that's not like a monster. But at the same time, you had this hero in Leon Kennedy who just made you feel like you could do anything. Because he would just like quip all the time. It'd be like he would just fight through all of these men and women at the beginning. Then the bell would ring and they'd all go away and he'd be like, Huh, where's everyone going? Bingo. <laughs> and it's just like, you're like, oh Leon. And you're like, it it almost gave you the courage to push forward a little more, the way Leon would not be affected by the world. Like you as the player are affected by what's going on, and Leon doesn't say anything when you're battling, but then it would like go to the 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 like uh, audio call or the visual call between like him and like Huntingham or him yeah. and like um, Salazar or whatever. And he'd always be joking and he'd always just like not give a fuck. And you're like, yeah, yeah. fuck yeah. Like we can keep doing, we can do this. We can do this no matter how tough it gets, no matter how intense it gets. Leon's just like, I don't care, man. I've been through Raccoon City. I'll just brush it all off. It's, and I, I kind of gave it like this weird dynamic where you, I, as a kid, I played it like, you know, 13, 14. I'd get a little freaked out and be like, no, nah, I can do this. Leon don't care. I don't care. We can do this. We can keep going. And it gave it I that really that. nice, weird dynamic to it. I think that's really cool. It's a very special game for many reasons. That just being one small one. Dude, the um, evolution of the enemies that what used to be like easy headshots then like sprouts this new creature that has the whip thing coming out. Like that's a genius be- evolution. And of like the, because of, of the inventory, which was literally a case you had to go into to get stuff, like they would come out and you'd be like, okay, I need to like flashbang so they would disappear. You'd have to like pause, pull out a flashbang grenade, throw the flashbang grenade, yeah. pause, get your gun out, shoot the bodies. Yeah. <laughs> 
so weird. So I'll say the the briefcase was actually again ripping off of like games that I love and how to you know evolve them or or you know take it and make it mine is like the 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 backpack for Joel. Yeah, know, the briefcase. And, yeah, you can um, see the genesis there, absolutely. And then what I didn't like about RE4 was that you could exploit the fact that it paused. Like Japanese games generally, like when you go into menus or whatever, it's like the same as Breath of the Wild, quite honestly. Like if they made it live like The Last of Us, it would create more tension and then there'd be more like consequence. What the, of, like yeah. Exactly, yeah. And, and so then, uh, but if I can exploit that system... I'll exploit it every time. Like that becomes part of the game, <laughs> but keeping it live in the last of us, like created more tension. And then it, and then it forces the player to understand more of the risk reward of other systems. Like you can sprint away and try to hide from enemies and then you could sort of evade them, etc. So it, yeah. it made it feel more robust, but the briefcase and the concept of like expanding my briefcase and just like where to spend money and how to like upgrade things and stuff was like, that's all Last of Us. Like, like we just ripped all that. <laughs> Resident <laughs> Evil Four is like a huge influence on me, and um, yeah, I mean, what else? Like at, the the fact that they also incorporated it's the same that we were talking about about Bloodborne and creating a world that allowed for a scenario like the mechanics to work well, and it allows mm -hmm. for setups. And in Resident Evil Four, like the idea that you're escorting this girl. And that she gets kidnapped by the priest. The, the priest, the, the mumbling was so creepy and good. That like mantra mumbling that they would do. Yeah. So like. Like I love yeah, it. And you know they're around, <laughs> but you don't know where they're at or something. And, and then you turn around and there's one like right there. And I love And they would shit. slowly walk away as well. Like they would slowly just walk up. And you're like freaking out. Even though they're slowly moving away. You're yeah. like, oh fuck. Like. I need to like go. I need to shoot him in the foot and like go get her. And Leon would stop to shoot, and you're like, no, he's walking away even further. Like everything was pieced together in a weird way. And when you think about it, you start the game in the woods. Let's like put the story aside. The president's daughter's kidnapped. Right. The president's Whatever. daughter, and they send in only Leon Kennedy. I mean, okay, sure, Leon's a badass, but it's dumb. But going from like the woods to then a church monastery cult. To then an island full of military and a lab. It just was like all kinds of fucked up genres that got pushed together. But they worked. And they, they, they just worked. It was yeah, so Yeah, I'm not going to say like the story is genius by any means. Like, yeah, there's well, definitely yeah. like, an evolution <laughs> that can happen there. But the fact that the premise of like escorting Ashley allowed for mechanics that you could choose to take her with you or hide her. Unfortunately, it's in a garbage dump. That's so also Japanese, like, yeah, let's put her in the garbage like, <laughs> dumpster. <laughs> you can have created something better than that. But anyway, um, thank God we're evolving these these concepts. But um, the, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, right, the fact that she gets kidnapped by the priests. And then you have this, again, this nice little timing puzzle element, this system of like, oh, I'm going to, um, I have to shoot the priest while she's running away from them. And I have this like kind of, how long does it take to reload the sniper gun while she's running away or she just got nabbed by somebody and they're walking away slowly, but there's that sense of tension, like the timer's ticking yeah. down. And you're like, God damn it. Reload faster. Get better at your aim. Like I need to upgrade the stabilization on this gun because this isn't working out for me. Like everything <laughs> folded back in those like setups that they created 
were all, again, just core mechanic setups. It just felt right. You know, I didn't question, like, especially at that time. I didn't care about the story. Like, No, and no one really cares about the Resident Evil story. Yeah. So, yeah. There are people who get into the Umbrella lore and stuff like that, but that's not the reason we play those games. The mansion was cool, and the mysteries of the mansion, that was cool, right? But Resident Evil 4, from from the start to the finish, you are literally skyping with the the final boss at various points throughout that game it was not afraid to be like this is the dude you're gonna defeat in the end all you have to do is just make your way towards him and you're just gonna leon's just gonna insult him and he's gonna insult leon and you're gonna have a little chuckle it's so dumb but it worked and it was fine it was a means to an end and that was all that mattered yeah i love that game game so good well it's the final game on your list and you can take it with you but that does mean we have come to the end, and we have to send you on your way now. Finally, Bruce. I can get to this island and play some games. Now I actually want to play some games. Let's do this. You need to like get these eight games. You need to lock yourself away for a week and simulate the the island situation. That would be I can do that. Fun. I don't have a job. <laughs> but there is one last question I have to ask you before I send you away. So there's the last question I ask anyone before they go away, and that's we talk a lot about games. On Final Games, of course. It's all about the games. And you're taking eight of them with you. Well, nine of them, because I'm really kind. But if we're talking about console experiences and the and, and PC and the way we play games, you've already said you're a console guy kind of growing up anyway. But the way we play games, like especially with the Switch, I think that epitomizes the way we interact with games and how we experience them. We've had a lot of VR talk over the past three, four years. You know, there was the whole motion control boom before that. But the way we play games is really important, I think, too. And if we were going to a deserted island and, you know, video games is important, we all have fond memories of the Super Nintendo and the PlayStation 2 and all that kind of thing. But if you can only take one console with you, bearing in mind the back catalog of that console and the way you, the controller and the way you, the UI works and all that kind of lovely stuff that gives you those nice warm feelings. If you can only take one with you, what would you take? Oh, man. Okay, let me talk this out a little bit. I got to talk this through because okay. my first, the first feeling is like N64. Something about the Z button, something about that <laughs> controller in my hand, just something about the feel of the N64. And the first time you like get Mario running around, I know he's not one of the games on my list or anything, but it's like, actually, I'll have that with me because I'll have like the World Cup 98 that I played on N64. So you will. Yes. Technically, then I, I have don't have to give it to you. With me. Um, that's an amazing console. Let's see, PlayStation One, not so much. PlayStation Two. I mean, PlayStation Four feels good. I like the controller. Uh, I like the games. It's not backwards compatible to all the PlayStation games, so there's a there's a serious con there. Let's see. Huh. PC? No. I mean, I'm not going to take. You a can't take PC. Can't you can't take, take PC. All right. Can't, can't take do... PC because you—that is every console in one box. <laughs> uh, I'll stick with N64. That controller wins me over, man. That—that's uh, my favorite controller. <laughs> what would you have been? What is, have you given this a thought yourself? Oh, uh, I don't know. I know I haven't. No, and it what, would be you tough. do this podcast and you haven't asked yourself that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. it it's it's not that I haven't asked it. It's that I've avoided answering it. 
Because I would want in my heart to say the Nintendo Switch right now. The Switch is awesome. Because I love playing games on it. Like, I I love just playing on it. I don't, not necessarily on the TV, I just mean on it. Like, I love it in my hands, the yeah, feel yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, and I love just, like, chilling on my couch, playing it. And obviously the games on it so far are fantastic. But I, that's a bet I would have to take. I would have to take the bet that five years time, the switch will still be as strong as it is now. When you compare it to like the PlayStation four, which has an, an unholy amount of good games on it. It's pretty great. But my PlayStation four, my PlayStation four has to take two boots up before it works. It doesn't, it, it's not the greatest built console. Okay. So okay, that's so I'll say this, thinking of catalog, because I agree with Switch, because part of my decision-making also, Zelda at one point, I think it's leaked to the past or something, one of the like Game Boy versions or something, one of those versions was popular, because I remember playing the hell out of like portable Zelda and loving it. And, yeah. And so part of me was thinking like, that'd be awesome to have on the island, because then I could like walk around, you don't have to be anywhere, you could be any, you yeah. could just wander and watch the sunset and then pop But you're open, already you taking know? Breath of the Wild. So I have Switch with me. So then um, there's something about having the portable system that seems really appealing, that the mm. Switch definitely provides that, which is pretty awesome. But that's what ties but into my... At the... Go ahead. No, I was just thinking of the catalog, because I was also thinking about, there's, what is that, Wave Race is on N64. What else is on N64? That Okay, uh, Wind Waker, isn't that? Or is that game? No, no. That's game. A Career of Time. Ocarina, 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 which is fucking awesome. Majora's Mask, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask are on the N sixty four. I you'd I have you'd have go. you'd have the true gem, which is Snowboard Kids, because I love that game. <laughs> the N sixty four. You'd have you'd have obviously Golden Eye. You'd have Banjo Golden Kazooie. Golden Eye. That's right. You'd have Banjo Kazooie. Oh, have... I loved Banjo and Kazooie. That's not even that didn't even like occur to me. Banjo was such yeah. a great game. But this is the thing about consoles. This is why I always phrase it as the way we play, because you immediately hit on the fact that you like holding the N64 controller. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's important. I think back catalog, I think if you pretty much choose most consoles, maybe, you know, regardless of maybe like the Sega Saturn or something, like that had a very stunted release, you're going to be fine, right? Like this is why it ties into like, oh man, if I took a 3DS... I could play all the 3DS games. I could play all the DS games. And there are a lot of good games on that system. So, I mean, the SNES is awesome. I mean, no, there's, the, a, there's a ton the, of, like... That's, like, the most obvious one, I think. That's, because that just... But that's an RPG machine, I think. Like, it has a lot of platformers, but that's the RPG machine. It, the, But the controller feels good, too. There's something about the weight of the controller and the buttons. And that, that thing feels amazing. But I'm still going in 64. Yeah, there you have it yeah. right there. It's beautiful. I do. Yeah. I have it right here. I have, I have both the Switch and the Super Nintendo very close to me. But So we'll allow you to take the N64 then. We'll allow you to take the eight games because now the ninth game gets included in your final choice. So cool. I, I'm, not there. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not choosing favorites. I'm not choosing favorites. You're still Bruce a kind man. I'm, I'm not choosing quite favorites. quite handsome. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the gesture was there. Come on. So we'll allow you to take those, but it is time. We're going to say goodbye. And Bruce, it's been a pleasure, an absolute pleasure to finally get around to do this with you. Yeah, it's this been has been so really fun. Nice. I'm glad we got to do it. I'm so glad we got to do it. And it's been just, for me personally, just such a treat to listen to you talk about these games and have such a fun discussion with you and hear stuff about 
the stuff with The Last of Us and Naughty Dog and your the way your philosophy for design works and counter to many other designers out there. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been so good. Thank you. Thanks, Liam. This is a blast, man. I'm glad you had fun. But we're going to leave now. We're going to send him off to his island that I think we're all jealous of. I think we're all jealous of. He's getting the best end of this, really. But Bruce, before you go... Would you like to tell the wonderful listeners either where they can find you on the internet if you want to interact with them? I know we've heard about your social media, but where they I'm can sure find anybody you? Anybody listening, they can figure it out. They, they, Bruce Straley, whatever. Just, just Google Bruce whatever. Straley for fuck's sake. There's like a million hits. It's that fine. Jackass. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you very much for listening to this, the first episode of 2018 of Final Games. I know, I know, I know. Last year, the ending was. A little quiet um, for many a reason uh, that I apologize for. I'm very sorry we couldn't, you know, close out the year together. Um, but if you are interested in podcasts and intre- if you're interested specifically in listening to my voice and some wonderful friends of mine, I am now a part of a brand new podcast with very famed YouTuber boy, Mr. Super Bunny Hop. Uh, we have a brand new podcast called the Dad and Sons Podcast, which released at the end of last year. Uh, we talk generally about video games and uh, everything that surrounds that kind of thing. It's very interesting. Uh, personally, I think it's very nice to listen to those guys talk, and I'm very happy and proud to be a part of that. So if you want to check that out, please do. But as always, you can find Final Games on iTunes if you search Final Games. You can also find it on soundcloud.com forward slash Final Games Podcast. It's on Acast. It's on Stitcher. It's on all those wonderful podcast networks. And if you can review and rate it, that would be even better. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of Final Games. As always, thank you so much to Bruce for coming on the show. But I'll see you again next time. Goodbye.